But we'll get used to it. Yeah, we will. We will. We're on the fifth floor. We're on a high. And uh, yeah, we've uh, lots to talk about, including your move to Dublin. You're not traveling from Monaghan anymore. No. Well, uh, uh, next, next week. Week. Week and a half. So uh, yeah, for people who are unaware, the the morning drive is for, an early start, 4.45 in the morning I leave. That's early. But uh, at least you get to listen to podcasts and stuff as well. Um, you know Patrick Cavanagh, the first time he came from Monaghan to Dublin, he walked. Did he? Yeah. Right, well, so now if you're trying to make me feel bad for, yeah. for driving and polluting the environment. Yeah, well, yesterday was interesting on the climate change. It was, it was. It was. I was playing Astro it, in it like took Johnny Thunder and Lightning. 90 seconds to start talking <laughs> about climate change. Well, that wasn't bad. Dan McDonnell, uh, our erstwhile friend, we, we played a game of Astro uh, at one o'clock yesterday and I'd say there was like 10 sheets of lightning throughout the game. It was, it was, I've never experienced anything like that before. It was yeah. mad. When you hear the, if you see the lightning, then you're waiting for the thunder. Yeah. Very little thunder in my performance. Kathleen, Mac- Kathleen McNamee is here this morning as well. Morning, Kathleen. Morning, guys. I was uh, enjoying the chat. I was just sitting quietly in the corner. Being it's like, a morning TV show. It's morning AM. Like we sit in production meetings and we're like, what are we going to talk about this morning? And then lightning comes up, climate comes up. Uh, basically everything you don't plan for yeah. comes up in a lot of people was mental yesterday like we were sitting in the office and I think I was the first person to notice the lightning and yeah. stuff and then just slowly every person was like god was that lightning it took me a while yeah you I were about like, half uh, an hour after it yeah, actually started like, oh, the, like, there's lightning it's, was like, it's yeah. rare it's a rare enough thing in Ireland and then when you're going to bed and you see it out the window it's like you're in a movie or something yeah um yeah, so it was, it was crazy. Playing ball, you're like, is this is this the end? Are we just going to get struck by lightning here? Because our performance is that bad. Like, it would be, yeah, would be yeah. a good thing for... Jeez, I had the umbrella. I was getting ready to leave the office yesterday afternoon. It looked like it was Armageddon outside. Mm. It was so dark. But then I was like, I shouldn't be holding a steel umbrella up in the up in the sky at this point but uh, safely got to the car got home um, we've got loads to get through we've got Premier League matches last night that uh, I know myself and yourself Johnny were watching United uh, Spurs we'll get to that in a moment but Kathleen champ- Women's Champions League last night Leon won Arsenal 5 this um, now all of the previews where, where you kind of thought right this is going to be a, a walkover for Leon. not a walkover but they're the holders they were the favourites they were at home Group C was kind of set up for Leon to win but uh, it didn't exactly pan out that way last night No this result was mental like I fully admit I didn't really tune into the match as it was happening because I was just like oh Lean are going to win like the, <laughs> Arsenal, I saw the lineups and Arsenal weren't even playing Miedema and I was like what's the point and then I checked my phone and I saw that it was 4-1 I think when I first checked it and I was like am I seeing things because we had work drinks last night and I was kind of like how many pints did I have yeah. uh I'll say if that was home by nine o'clock. Um, but yeah, this is like this result was completely unprecedented. I think like 2006 or something was the last time that they lost by a four more than like a one goal margin. It's been like 2005 since they lost by more than four. So it's been like totally unprecedented for Leon to lose by this much, even though there's been this whole conversation the last couple of years of, you know, where do they sit? Mm. It, and it was kind of answered a little bit last mm. year when they won the Champions League and they beat Barca and they did it so convincingly. Losing 5-1 to this Arsenal team was 
insane. Um, but it was also, it was great to see players like Beth Mead, Caitlin Ford, who's incredibly underrated as a player, I think, because she's been on a team with someone like Miedema. Mm. We don't think of her as like one of the top strikers in the WSL, but she really is. Um, and even Freedom Adam, like she was on for Miedema. She very under the radar player, not someone that you would pick out in the sort of game that's going to play. Now, it has to be caveated that like Leon were missing quite a lot of players. Yeah. But at the same time, it's kind of like City missing a lot of players. Like their B <laughs> team is yeah. as good as their A team. Um, so yeah, a massive win for Arsenal. And they did it away as well. It wasn't even like they were at home. So yeah. I think they'll be delighted because like, that was a really tough group. I remember when the draw was made, it's like them and Juventus is also there. Joe yep. Montemiro, who used to manage Arsenal, coaches Juventus now. They got quite a few scalps last year mm-hmm. in the Champions League. So everyone kind of thought Arsenal might have been on the edge to even get out of the group yeah, and well, start off their campaign with a 5-1 win against Leon. current holders. It's not a bad start. No, you can't ask for much more. Just reading there, like Arsenal have beaten the holders and Champions League winners in six of the last seven seasons on their own ground in the opening game at the group stage. That's which mad. Is mad. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they have a good record. Like It's their first win in six against Leon. But I mean, in terms of beating the big teams in the Champions League, they, yeah. can, they can do it early on. They can do it early on. It's just whenever they get... Like, cause I went to see them play Barcelona um, last year. It was, at the, it was the tie that was at the Emirates and they lost 4-1 and they were just completely dominated for the entire match. I mean, I actually just gave up like supporting them after a little while and just sat back and enjoyed watching mm. Barcelona because Barcelona were playing such beautiful football. Mm. I was like, if I watch this as a fan, it's just not going to be fun. But if I watch this as someone who likes football... Um, and this this has always been Arsenal's problem. It's not even Arsenal's problem. It's kind of English team's problem. Like we saw it with Chelsea. We've seen it with City. They struggle in the Champions League so much, especially when it gets to the later stages and they lose to teams they shouldn't. So while it is great to see them do this now, I don't know what it actually says for the rest of their season in right. the group. And especially because the fixture schedule this year, especially like I know we talk about it so much on the men's side, but this year in particular for the women's side is quite frantic and we're getting to that stage where it's starting to pile up and they're starting to see more injuries come in mm. um but even like we talked about injuries for Leon I mean like Arsenal are missing their main center back pairing yeah mm. and everyone thought that was gonna be a massive issue for them I mean, they barely beat Reading at the weekend who are bottom of the WSL and then come out and beat Leon 5-1 yeah it's just a bit I, I actually don't know what the reason behind it is. I think Leon maybe underestimated them slightly and didn't perform, but it's not what you would expect from a team of that quality. Did you see the crack with Beth Mead the other day? They were at the Ballon d'Or and Miedema, who you mentioned, by the way, 120 goals in 149 games for Arsenal. Yeah. Wow. For Vivian Miedema, that's unbelievable. But she... Uh, and she's tailed off as well in recent seasons. Beth Mead was only her guest. That's how good Miedema was. Yeah. So the Ballon d'Or, she was pictured. Was it one magazine picked this up or was it? Uh, I think it was Getty or something. Right. So I took a picture of the two of them. Beth Mead came second in the whole thing. And like they're going out. They are a couple. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they went to it together and it was just like, Vivian Miedema and a guest. <laughs> it was quite funny because Arsenal Beth actually. Mead. Yeah. Euros winner Beth Mead. Like. Yeah. Arsenal kind of like picked up on it in their pre-match stuff last night. And there was like a few photos of them like warming up or whatever and they were like Vivian Miedema and again <laughs> warm up for their Champions League tie against Leon <laughs> and there was of course Premier League action last night as well and uh, I know Johnny you were watching uh, matters at, at Old Trafford your, your younger cousin was it my nephew Finney nephew, yeah, it's his first game um, his first time on a plane I think um, 
obviously hasn't been listened to his uncle but um, they actually the plane was badly badly delayed in Dublin I think and Lightning I, maybe maybe it was actually maybe it yeah was. I'm not, maybe it was they were definitely blaming the airline anyway whatever it right. was you know but uh, the uh, so he got there and you know he's what 10 so it must be must be such an amazing experience like I think my first big game I was definitely older than that and I certainly wasn't going to like Old Trafford and he's a big Man United fan they won 2-0 and it sounded like the atmosphere was really good at the game yeah. like do you know you know there, like, there's so many day trippers like my um, nephew at games in the Premier League sometimes you're like it, it doesn't it lacks kind of the vibrancy of the old days but mm. you could really I felt from watching TV there was a really good atmosphere at the game and Man United fans I think Man United I think the players like responded to it in a way, like they, you know, yeah. it, it was a real home advantage thing, and it, it came into gear for sure in the second. It did, half. it yeah, did, yeah. and it was kind of cool to see, and even you know, the likes of performance from Fred and players like that, you know, maligned players really. Fred was outstanding last night. I think the main takeaway from the game is how poor Spurs were. I couldn't get over it. I mean, I was like, this is going to be. I want to see how Doherty got on. He didn't do badly. Um, but I wanted to see how like Spurs were ahead of Man United in the table. Where is this battle for? I don't know, second or third place or top four or whatever it is. Conte, like Conte was, it was like as if he was watching a movie and he was just on the couch having popcorn. Like, why aren't you making changes Quite there? passive, wasn't like, it? So, like, Son was literally anonymous for the whole game. And I was yeah. like, so you, you go 1-0 down after 50-odd minutes or whatever, which was merited, mm. and he made no changes. He made like a triple or quadruple substitution at 2-0 when the game was up. Yeah. And uh, I, I was just really disappointed in Spurs. They, they had a lack of ambition at nil all, fair enough. But at 1-0, they were actually worse, and Conte made no changes, which I, I just thought was baffling. But Ten Hag, Man United. Um, I was very impressed with them. Like it was the first time I've seen them in a few weeks, and defensively, just really well put together. McTominay came on at the end. Casemiro was kind of the holding player, played really well. Rashford did all bar score, like, but they were way better than Spurs. Conversation we literally had yesterday yeah. morning about Rashford. Yeah, <laughs> he's. Uh, it's great to see. Like he's just. Um, he's such an inspirational figure. He didn't score, but he played really well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's getting into positions that Ronaldo per, per, perhaps wouldn't have been getting into, like running behind. What did you make of Ronaldo? <laughs> walking down the tunnel like this was so for anyone who didn't see the game probably 88-89 minutes Ronaldo mm. uh, by the way United still I think had, a, had the option of a sub or two to make mm. so it wasn't as if the you know the last sub had been made or he'd come off um, from the pitch and walked down the tunnel he just brazen as you like walks down the tunnel with a couple of minutes left plus stoppage time I mean, the optics weren't great, and it, it's a bit. It doesn't really surprise me anymore, no. though. Like he's done it so many times, and even when he is on the bench, he just looks unhappy and kind of shaking the head, a bit petulant or something. Yeah. And I mean, you look at the legacy that he has in football, and you kind of wonder from his side what the point of it is. Like, I understand being frustrated with being in United. I'm sure there's a lot of players that are frustrated with having been in that team for the last while, but. He obviously knows himself as well that there's not a lot of other teams that want to take him on. So I don't understand why he isn't trying to be more of the team player and put himself out there as being like, look, I understand things aren't going all that well for United Mm. or not going as well as they could be. I'm going to be the team player. I'm going to fulfill my legacy. Yeah. And instead, he just seems quite happy to kind of throw the towel in a little bit. I think it's hard to to think like Ronaldo thinks as well in the sense of the career he's had and his stature in the game and the life that he lives every day where he probably has yeah. built himself up as well, there's well there's an ego he, there obviously. there's an ego and that, the ego is part of his greatness as well you can't divorce yeah. that from the amazing career that he's had and that self-belief 
but you know, like I'm talking about our game of Astro. It's when you're hitting forty and you play as badly as I did yesterday. You're like, God, you know, slowing down is bad. But at least I'm not photographed by a million cameras. Like, and Ronaldo is probably you, you shaking your he, head like a petulant child as well. I was. I had a horror show in the second half, right. but I was like, I'm not Ronaldo, and Ronaldo has to deal with this, and he knows that the cameras are on him, and he must recognise the Man United are a far better team without him now. They have a dynamism that. They just can't have with his legs, I think. It's like he took away from the, the moment of celebration where the, the, the full-time whistle celebrations were actually, like, mm. for, for a United fan, it was lovely because, you know, you saw Varane and Dallow giving it loads um the far end of the pitch, uh, close to where the away fans are in Old Trafford. But, like, Ronaldo not being there for that moment was kind of a bit bizarre because I'm seeing clips in recent games where Ronaldo, even when he's not starting, is kind of, you know, geeing up the players before the match of the warm-up. And, and mm. those look, I know Joe and the lads the other night were talking about he maybe lack of professionalism to some degree but like you, you see things like that clips like that where he, he does seem professional and a bit of a leader in the team but then mm. you see the, the petulance walking off maybe there was a reason for it but I mean Ten Hag was asked about it afterwards and he said I'll deal with that tomorrow which is today So I, see, Ten Hag has won the battle now though you know Man United fans yeah. delighted to going home last night and if they see Ronaldo uh, I think Ten Hag is, he's not there long he's doing a marvellous job you look at them last night they really know what they're doing Yeah, and the likes of Shaw like, is outstanding last night and again another malign player Dallow really really solid very good last night De Gea had nothing to do Like he'd, I don't think he'd one save to yeah. make and against Spurs whatever about Spurs performance that team that Man United put out they, they would be a, a threat like against pretty much anyone in the league in a 90 minute game and Ronaldo's just kind of he is yesterday's story I think now it was even yesterday on the show like we were talking about Bruno Fernandes and I was his... actually just about to ask <laughs> yeah. you how did you feel about like, how he played he, he, was, he was terrible but then he got a great goal like he was the one player who was like yeah he's not really at it but he was poor for some yeah for most of the, I mean, there was one point where Jim Begdon on the commentary was like uh, you know he was very disappointed with himself times mm. Bruno and, and but then but then he came good in the second half because the goal was great but he also started to come He started to play. I think his confidence started to rise. It was a goal that sort of presented... to you guys yesterday morning and had it up on the dressing room wall. Yeah, yeah, he had <laughs> literally in the dressing room as you say. Like he, but he, as I was saying yesterday, I think it was maybe 28 goals he scored in his first season. Mm. Well, first full mm. season with United. And then it was one in 13, I think. One in his last 13. So it's, we shouldn't be getting excited about Bruno Fernandes scoring a goal because... That's what he should be doing anyway. He didn't play very well. Like I mean, that, no. it was it was a moment of of great opportunism. But prior to that, what are we talking? Like an hour odd, he'd been probably the worst player. Actually, yeah. he had been the worst player. Fairly absent. Uh, Fred, by the way, I mean, outstanding. I, I think United fans are starting to really see him as a not a cult hero is a strong word, but. Mm. Um, yeah, go on. I'll just say it. Cult hero. He is a cult hero. Fred is a cult hero. It was hero. the position he played in, though, as well. It's just that he played him further up the pitch using Casemiro as a sort of deeper player. Yeah. And Fred was able to. But even when you saw him, uh, Ericsson wasn't fit, you were like, well, mm. this isn't good. Um, you I know. feel like fans have such a love hate relationship with Fred, though, because <laughs> most of the time that he either does something quite good or else he does something incredibly bad. Yes. And mm. yeah. there's never really that like in between conversation about him, and, or there's not even really that conversation about where he should be playing in the team. Mm. Like, I feel like a lot of United fans, if they had to get rid of him tomorrow, they yeah. would and they wouldn't miss him either. He could have a big World Cup. Like, yeah. this is the thing. He's starting to come into form and Casemiro's playing well as well alongside him. I mean, Brazil, John Duggan said the other day, he said Brazil are a banker for the World Cup. But, uh, but if you look at, we'll say Arteta, what Arteta has done in terms of the mentality at Arsenal, like, mm. 
Casemiro, there was a clip of him celebrating, I think the second goal, where he basically went down, down on his knees. Down on his knees. Yeah, like, yeah. People are, they're definitely buying into Ten Hag here, like, and he's made a radical difference already in that you can see the mentality that, like, they were so on it last night compared to Spurs. Yeah. And it's kind of the same as Arsenal, where you go through a spell or a lull or kind of coaches who are just not up to the job anymore. And I, if I were a Man United fan, I'd be hugely encouraged by last night. The mentality of the players. And if, if you lose the ball to Man United on a break, that was the mad thing about Spurs. Spurs were playing like on the, on the counter, but they don't actually have that much pace. Yeah. Whereas Man United really do. And if Rashford can sort of start scoring, scoring goals. goals, I mean, <laughs> the, the small for, thing that the center forward <laughs> needs to start. Yeah. There for the grace of God, that shot that um, Laurie saved just sort of when it was 2 0. I mean, I don't know how that didn't go in. Great tip. But uh, if yeah. I were Ten Hag, I would be like, I'm delighted with your performance. And, yeah. and you're. His body language compared to last year, where he looked like he'd the world of problems, and now he's just known. He's a new man. Mm. Uh, yeah, United fans in the comments. like you when you get to Sony better. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> wait till wait till that happens. Taking over. Um, yeah. Wait, yeah. good luck with your morning shifts then. Oh, yeah. I'll get an extra hour in bed. I'll be, I'll be delighted <laughs> with myself, Johnny. Um, yeah, interesting to hear what United fans think in the YouTube comments, and the Facebook, and the Twitter this morning. Um, Spurs fans as well. I mean, you have to be disappointed. Um, interesting tweet I read from Miguel Delaney last night. He was saying, "I've had it put to me that Conte thinks the world." Cup will distort the season so he has tailored the physical programme so Spurs are in top form after it hence conserving energy now we won't know the truth until the new year but Spurs currently looking very still I'd be surprised if that was like. it's a risky thing very risky like because you don't know who's going to get injured at the World Cup you don't know what squad is going to come back to you you know, you have no control over really what they're going to be doing. They have no hope of winning the league, right? I think that's fair yeah well that's gone so then if he's thinking we want to finish top four and um Essentially, you know, we've spoken about Stephen Bradley, even at the Shamrock Rovers level, trying to be pragmatic. Maybe he's thinking, yeah, we'll finish top four. On last night's evidence, Man United are a better team than them. Mm. But obviously, it's over the course of the season. They don't even really look like a team, though, as well, that are like conserving energy or trying to conserve themselves physically yeah, until true. afterwards. They, they just look beat. Yeah, they just look beaten. They're good points, Tally. Like, they're, they're, they're Tally, yeah. like 23 from 10 going into last night or whatever. So it's fine. Um, but that was limp yeah barely had a shot on target like limp performance interested to hear what Spurs fans think this morning on uh, OTBM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember effortless shave magnificent Mo you can sign up or donate now at Movember.com coming up on today's show we'll have uh, Tony Evans on the way fairly shortly uh, talking the panorama doc uh, the other night on Liverpool FC and, and the uh, the mad scenes at the Champions League final where fans couldn't get entry to the stadium and there were scenes of pepper spray and all sorts of uh, carnage at that game and he'll of course talk about uh, Liverpool's win last night against uh, West Ham uh, after that then eight, ten past State. We'll have the Kilmacud Croaks captain Shane Cunningham joining us in studio. So, uh, great win in the Dublin Senior Football Championship for Kilmacud uh, last weekend, and they still have the pain of Kilcoo last year to, to contend with. So, uh, loads of interesting things to get into with uh, with Shane Cunningham, not least the impact of, uh, of Shane Walsh at the team as well. We'll do the sports pages at uh, half past eight. Uh, sports news with Cahill Milani then at uh, eight forty. You had to be there. Our latest episode with Vinnie Perth, the former Dundalk manager, at uh, eight fifty-five a.m. He's got loads of interesting um, bits, and not just in, in the world of football. Paul as well, uh, but he's got, he's been he's been there, done that. Let's just say Vinnie Perth. So uh, we'll have him in studio as well for the latest episode of You Had to Be There. And then at half past nine, we'll have Wednesday night rugby. Some of the best bits uh, from last night's show: uh, Rio Connor and Fiona Hayes, and they're reacting to the the Irish squad named by Andy Farrell yesterday. Some injury uh, injuries to contend with there for Andy Farrell, but uh, loads of good stuff in that Wednesday night rugby. Um, some of the comments, lads, coming in: Is there a pause for the people who wanted Conte at United this time last year? says Richard Redballs great name on YouTube by the way as well um, I don't know I mean Conte Conte's still a great manager but pff, it's just uh, results like last night would, would 
make you feel this is this is Spurs. Yeah. Um, you'd wonder. The lack of changes were baffling. Like it, was, yeah, it, was it was the obvious to, I, I'm sure my nephew even recognised. Like Spurs need changes there. Son was anonymous. Kane had a good first half, not so good second half. Son was absolutely anonymous. Yeah, yeah. And when Mora came on, he started to run at them and they looked a bit better. I, I just it was almost like they'd kind of given up. It was like the it was like the, they'd lost two 0 in the first leg, and it was like, ah, whatever, we move on next week. It's like yeah. this is a big game here. Where, where is your? Why, why aren't you doing something? <laughs> what was your, what did you say your first um, Premier League match was? Oh, your first trip to I think my first Premier League game was like Liverpool Villa and Peter Crouch scored, which is two thousand and God, I don't know, two thousand and nine, maybe something. I remember. I think my first trip was. St. Patrick's Day 2001 went over to see Man United against Leicester City two late goals for United 1-2-0 but Damien Delaney 19 years old middle oh, of the park wow. for Leicester it was his Premier League debut at Old Trafford up against Scholes and Giggs and these lads so um, I mean what a welcome Peter Taylor I met I met Peter Taylor after the match the Leicester manager and Dean Sturridge and these lads I remember getting an autograph off Dwight York and Teddy Sheringham before the game and thinking some pretty impressive first oh, game I have to say can't get any better than this I thought, <laughs> but, uh, that kind of like set you on the road of these like trips to exotic kind of events like you know Darts and kind snooker, of snooker <laughs> and yeah, 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 yeah. It led me down the path. At yeah. time. Do you remember your first trip to match in England? So I actually never went over right? to England. So the first time I went to actually see a game was last year, Arsenal Liverpool in the Conti Cup. Yes, was my first like men's match that I ever went to. Like at home, we were a big kind of rugby and GA family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never, Like my dad's an Everton supporter, so okay, we would talk about like Premier League and stuff but it wasn't probably the main sport we would always be going to like Ulster finals and that sort of crap <laughs> rather than because they're all Wait, my, you're from Sligo yeah? I'm from Sligo but all my family are from down so. oh okay Up down. And, and, and in terms of GA Sligo were never necessarily the best in the yeah, world yeah. so whenever it came around to that time of year and down were making it to Ulster finals and actually had half a chance the, yeah. the down mm. jerseys were coming out well forget your first trip to the Premier League you'll never forget your first trip to Clonus that's the, yeah. the beyond in many ways the, the funny thing for me was I was a massive Liverpool fan and then I think Galway United won the League Cup and I got in my head like go to a game went to a game in Terryland it was like a night similar to last night without yeah. thunder and lightning 350 people maybe at the game on a Saturday night 1-1-0 one, one, and I was absolutely hooked and I was like if, if I were that hooked at when I was like 14 what was my nephew Finning like at Old Trafford last night yeah. like they won 2-0 they were, they were really good it was loud and all that experience getting on a plane for the first time maybe we should get him on the show we should yeah. we should yeah see what his experience was we like. should be calling him in right now <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. like live live from the airport <laughs> exactly. Colin Bivig brought me brought my attention to this um, audio from last night um, I love this so this was great Amazon Prime last yeah. night really rare occasion where you see two Premier League managers essentially interview each other um, the presenter kind of set it up nicely and, and put them on the spot for sure but um, Thomas Frank Brentford manager and Graham Potter the Chelsea manager before their nil all draw last night um, a very interesting 90 seconds or so, or so exchange so have a listen I think Graham has showed his qualities hugely uh, and I know that he'll do a good job at Chelsea uh, but if you ask him one question yeah, go on. why are you changing the formation so many times? <laughs> good, good question good question um, well changing the formation is um, we don't really see the formation as the end goal we see that actually how the team's playing the team needs to look consistent regardless of the formation and then it's about the, the personnel about how you want to attack the opponent how you want to defend against the opponent I suppose those are things we consider but um, yeah hopefully there's there's things that look the same even though the shape changes 
Graham, uncharted territory. <laughs> uncharted territory. You have the right of reply. What would your question be? Oof. Um, okay, I have to be a serious one, don't I? Because you asked me a serious yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it doesn't have to be. The biggest difference from the Championship to the Premier League? Ooh. The pace of the game, I would say. Uh, the quality quality of the players uh, is, is crazy. Uh, you can make one minor mistake and, and it's not getting punished every time, you know that. Yeah. But you just get punished so much more. Yeah. Uh, so I would say the speed of the game and, the, and also here, I think another thing is that I think the level of um, how can you say it's more the modern game playing in the Premier League uh, yeah. so many changes formation uh, shift in the game a lot of teams are doing that more and more so yeah. big challenge a frank exchange of views of oh t- you haven't that Johnny, brilliant hey you were ready with that yeah. you were so ready I was morning AM it was like this for 90 <laughs> seconds when I can't wait to say this it's going to be so, it, so it, funny it, it actually was and it wasn't a frank exchange in that like it's obviously slightly contrived because yeah but the, and, and there is an element of being put on the spot but it was cool wasn't that it? was enjoyable You're like, yeah. you never why get do you change your formation so much like well sorry <laughs> why should I be telling you it was like a dig for a second for yeah. Thomas Frank he's like why do, you, why do you change it for me but he had, Potter had a great answer he was like I'd like to think other areas of the pitch don't uh, change too kind often kind of like the conversation you guys were having the other morning though about coaches and like they're them being in WhatsApp groups together yeah, and yeah, talking yeah. and like mm. I kind of said I think pre-show that I didn't expect like managers from the same sport to be in the same group and like talking mm. about these sort 100%. of things but it's kind of the same thing that we were enjoying yeah like, watching. that was the Eddie Jones story the other morning yeah. in a WhatsApp group with mm. Miguel Arteta and the Green Bay Packers head coach I think and a few others as well but that that sort of exchange you need to see more of that in TV I definitely like, like Richard Cooper to do the sketch of it as well for like you know Richard's <laughs> rugger thing coming down the line yeah, yeah. but it, it is um like and you're not talking about formations, but like are Ireland right to play three at the back? Like should Stephen Kenny? Stephen Kenny was never a three at the back guy, and now we kind of accept it as normal. And even like I was at a game Friday night where um, Pat's lost a player, and they put a 16 year old centre back. They changed from a three at the back to a four at the back, and these are things that coaches must be absolutely like fascinated by because it's such a fundamental mm. change. And he makes changes obviously all the time. Yeah, yeah. and some people are wedded to the doctrine. But it's like, how am I going to win this game? And do I have the players capable of doing yeah. it? So, but it's funny if those t- when you're trying to get like like little tactical mm. nuances like that, you could tell Frank Thomas Frank actually genuinely wanted to ask him a question. That yeah, kind of on his head. Whereas Potter, he was like, like a fan almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Potter was like, I'm gonna right, I have to come up with a question. And, yeah, mm. um, his question was good as well. But that's the type of thing I think we need to see a little bit mm. more often. We don't even see that in intercounty. Gaelic games you don't see mm. two managers on the pitch no generally afterwards. when you see two managers on the pitch they're doing yeah. something else other exactly. than chatting yeah, to each yeah. other <laughs> the muzzle um, but yeah that was that was great to see I mean more the more of that we can see the better uh, a couple of comments coming in on the YouTube as well Bob Dwyer our resident OTBAM Spurs fan uh, aside from John Duggan of course Spurs were shocking United were great simple as that really disappointing we'll still finish top three on the evidence of Brentford versus United Brentford are a better team a season is over over 38 games. Uh, Bobby, you saying Brentford are better than United? It's a strong claim. We had Judd Trump yesterday um, with the, the salty, salty kind of reaction to losing to Aaron Hill at the World's, or the, not the World's, the uh, Northern Irish snooker open up in Belfast. Mm. I'm not going to call Bob salty, but um, I'm not going to not call you salty, Bob. I'm just waiting for my moment. Salty to, Bob sounds like a pirate salty or something. Bob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was waiting for it. Uh, Pat Dorgan thought Fred was good last night, but can be dreadful. I think Casemiro beside him brings the best out of him. Tries every game, to be fair. And Damien says, starting to see good pairings. Fred with Casemiro, Ericsson with McTominay. 
Like I know football is fairly reactive, but we don't want to get United fans won't want to get too carried away because they know how quickly. Ah, uh, they definitely will though. Ah, uh, yeah, like, 100% let's we'll get be realistic. Like United fans are probably the ones who get the most carried <laughs> away whenever their teams are doing well or when they're doing badly. Like mm. you compare the conversation we're having this morning to the conversation we've been having for the last couple of days. You know, it was a good win for United last night. They played well. Yeah, there's still a lot to prove there. I mean, if people are still questioning Arsenal at this stage of the season, considering the fact they're top of the table and some of the games they've played, yes. But it's like United have had well, one good match, and everyone's like, when you're in, when you're in the game, track. as long as as Shane and I coupling us there in terms of the fact that obviously I'm a lot older than you, you do realize like we come in to talk about that was a bad performance. Then you come in the next week, and Man United during Solskjaer's era was like that was a better performance. Yo, the next week's like that was a bad performance. You're like, what am I doing with my life here? But Man United were good last night. They won 2 0, and they have squad options. The two players you mentioned not playing, and the roster is absolutely ridiculous the amount of games these players have to play, and they're expected to perform. And maybe they do have a little bit of squad depth as well. Yeah, I think there's a lot of optimism around Old Trafford now. Like, you, you could sense it even through the TV, you could sense the atmosphere in Old Trafford. Even Anthony as well, what he's brought a little bit of something like he's excellent first half. I mean, he's mm. some dribbler of the ball. Mm. Um, and the balance that Casemiro brings to that team as well, I think, is, is, is another... Even Keane Tracy was saying it yesterday about at the weekend. Yeah, you know, it was a bad game, but he was like, the atmosphere was class. Yeah, like, yeah. everyone was fully invested in the team. Mm-hmm. And I think you were saying earlier about would United fans go back and take Conte now? And I think like what Conte does is he kind of goes into a team, he burns brightly and then fades very quickly, yes. whereas Ten Hag is much more of a build a slower build and you might not see the results necessarily straight away like I don't think this is going to be a straight line for United from now I think they're going to go up and down a bit until he properly it's a tough league embeds Mm. his mentality and and Mm. gets those players to where they should be playing like say someone like Rashford we keep saying he gets himself into great positions he should have scored when he actually starts scoring and when Ten Hag gets him to that place then I think United are really going to be on a run of form. Yeah. Um, what if he actually does realise his potential this season? Yeah. You know, yeah I think it was body language really struck it me. Was. Body language of the players is so positive. Hugging each other and mm. like it's completely the polar opposite of say under Rangnick. It was mm. kind of all this dreary negative mm. stuff. Bob Dwyer is, as by the way... Uh, Salty Bob. He's come back in. So Salty Bob. Bob. United are obviously a better team than Brentford. My point is more about one win doesn't make Man United a better team than Spurs. Yeah, fair enough. Probably a fair point. Yeah. Uh, it was only a 90 minute game uh, to be fair uh, I just wanted to mention as well the Martin Keown uh, quoted in some of the papers the Times talking Arsenal of course playing PSV Eindhoven in the Europa League tonight at 6 o'clock at the Emirates but um, needless to say Ruud van Nistelrooy being PSV manager has brought the Keown Ruud relationship back into the, oh, into yes. the focus uh, Keown quoted as saying I could never trust Ruud I didn't feel like I could trust him going into that game at Old Trafford in September 2003 he would collapse at the slightest touch in the box when we faced United in the FA Cup semi-final in April 2004, I had moved on. I approached Van Nistelrooy to shake his hand. He looked hesitant at first. I stuck my hand out and told him, don't take it personally. I don't know if he did or still does. They're not on each other's Christmas card lists, I'd imagine. Get him on the show. Big we rude. Should, we should. Yeah. Oh, big rude would be great. Colin Bowie can do it. He's, yeah, well, he can pull it out. He's extraordinary. Let's get on yeah. to Rude Van Nistelrooy. Uh, rude was my... He was one of those players that I had on, on the back of my jersey growing up. By the way, an expensive man to get in the back of your jersey. Yeah, was it was by the letter. letter. a lot of letters. Yeah. It was by the letter. Um, yeah. so it was v- you just needed to go for the rude and nothing else. <laughs> have done. It was v- small v dot Nisleroy 10 and you're like, oh, this is going to be expensive. But um, just one of those poachers, absolute poachers. Um, <laughs> United could do with someone like that 
No, who can well, score did they not have a poacher on the team well, already who yeah. was very happy about playing? You know the yeah. way like petulant poacher. Yeah, yeah <laughs> kids are now like playing soccer or playing sport at like uh, while they're nappies, pretty much, and they're like kicking the ball. So my mate's uh, son, he showed me a photo of him like uh, looking at this guy in a. He's a big Liverpool fan. And uh, the other guy was wearing like a Man United jersey at the little training session. He goes, you think it can't get worse, but it does. And he turned around and on the back of his jersey was dad won. (laughs) (laughs) With the Man United jersey. It's a nice little bit of rivalry there. Yeah, yeah. I saw a video recently on Twitter where there was United fans. A few mates got got their mate a a United jersey and he's all delighted. And uh, like he's like, this is a new United jersey. Uh, Buzzing turns around, it's Maguire 5. And you could just see his head drop. It was like a tradition a joke, in, like a, yeah, in ESPN. Whenever uh, you leave, you get a jersey. Not like a jersey that you want, but yes. something you don't want on the back. So <laughs> we, <laughs> The uh, running joke was I would always get an England jersey whenever I left. Oh, oh, so we had this argument. Well, Nathan famously or infamously talking about the fact that he bought or would buy his kid an England jersey, I think. Was it before oh, the Euros last yeah. year? Um, which, which caused controversy. He was asked on to different shows on News Talk off the back of this, uh, where he said... Maybe like Liveline and stuff picked oh, it up. It was like bad. mental. Because I was over in London at the time and I, I thought it was an interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, real in the ears stuff. <laughs> yeah. like, will, like, would you buy your kid an England jersey if they, if they want... You know, because if your kid comes to you at eight years of age or ten years of age and, and says before the Euros last year, before the World Cup, oh, I really love... Like Sancho's my best player or my favourite player or Bellingham's my favourite player or whoever. Like eight hundred years of oppression. Well this is it. You do you do you do you start sitting the kid down and telling them about eight hundred years of oppression or do you say, Oh just buy the kid a jersey? Mm. Be grand. Yeah. Um I know which I'd pick. Probably not the one Nathan picked. I wouldn't be buying my kid in England jersey. <laughs> but I mean each to their own, I guess. Yeah. And if it makes the kid happy then We'll report back when you're a father. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the kid is desperately looking Married for Married yesterday, fatherhood today, Shane. You're going through all the stages. <laughs> Tell you what, yeah, it, was, it was Tinder the other day as well. It was like, Jesus, where are we heading with this, these conversations? We should mention as well, Johnny, I know you're a, you're a, you're a mammal, a middle-aged man in Lycra. That's, unf- that's unfair. Sorry, you, you don't own Lycra. Um, <laughs> no, I like. Cool. like Sorry, did, did there. Yeah. Uh, no, of course. The, you, see the implication. The implication being forty. And you are middle aged. That's pretty much middle aged. You're not a middle aged man, of course, Johnny. But uh, the big news that came in yesterday in the in the, the cycling world was that the the Tour de France looks like it's coming back to Ireland. So officials in in departments in the North and and the Republic working together to investigate the potential to host the Tour in either 2026 or 2027. Um, so the Republic last hosted Le Grand Depart in 1998, Northern Ireland course hosted a stage of the Giro d'Italia as we did ourselves in the Republic in 2014 uh, yeah the last time it was uh, the Tour de France in Ireland I was talking about this this morning Willie Vogt was caught smuggling drugs into Ireland for the event the race descended into chaos Jim McDaid uh, one of the politicians at the time said Ireland Remember would, never, Jim. would never have anything to do with the Tour de France ever again but this um it's exciting news, Johnny, for the cycling world. It is, and um, we have, uh, <laughs> as uh, Dodge said on Twitter, if you follow Dodge, he's like, the, the, the great reason, essentially, that we can host a Tour de France is that uh, we don't need to build anything, we don't need to do anything, it's just roads. Right, so yeah. we, we actually have the infrastructure. Because their infrastructure in this country is a joke. Like, I think we, we, for, we have so much wealth in this country, it takes years to get anything done, and our stadia at League of Ireland level, I would argue our stadia at GA level, are still they're antiquated like it's yeah. rubbish like and the League of Ireland is terrible but anyway because the Tour de France is on essentially roads which uh, many of which were paid for by the EU uh, this can happen but that would be amazing I think um, there was a big you know 
um, interest in cycling upsurge during lockdown. That's how I get into it. But in terms of the um, quality of our cyclists, we have Archie Ryan coming up, who's going to be exceptionally good, I think. We've obviously had Sam Bennett winning the green jersey at Le Tour um, with some very good cyclists. And this would be an amazing event. And as Simon in my Velo WhatsApp group said yesterday, because of climate change, they might have to do the whole bloody thing in Ireland. It was the, the Tour de France this year. Right, Velo was, WhatsApp group. Yeah, like... A, Velo Club Turn Europe, what's up? Sorry, of course. But yeah, the, yeah. that's one of the cycling WhatsApp groups I'm in. It was, it was so hot at the Tour de France this year, like 40 degrees. Like that's like beyond, like that's basically like a human rights abuse to be cycling in that weather and climbing hills. Maybe Ireland is actually, Ireland definitely has that going for it. Yeah. But it'll be amazing for cycling in this country if it happens. Especially in Lycra. Time to say a very good morning to a football journalist Tony Evans who's joining the show now. Morning, Tony. Morning, how are you today? Keeping well, Tony, keeping well. And uh, look, we, we'll get to the, the Panorama documentary with you uh, shortly, but I uh, just want to touch on, on Liverpool last night, of course, and uh, they got the win, they got the three points. Darwin Nunez on the score sheet is is all good in Nunez land now after the goal last night. Yeah, I was impressed by Nunez. I think he's been getting better with every game. Uh, his, his decision-making was poor beforehand, but he was superb last night. And the thing is, both Henderson and Thiago seemed to be finding the range and getting the ball behind the defence so he could run behind them. So I thought there was loads of really encouraging signs last night, even though he made heavy work of it a bit. Yeah, like it, it is a it is a big three points, and and Klopp probably needed it after the weekend, but um, uh, just to carry on the momentum, I guess from from the Man City win. But um, Joe Gomez as well, another player, Tony, that, that that kind of popped up in discussion after the City game. He was he was he was almost gone earlier in the season. People were saying the Napoli performance was was a sign that he was he was on the downward spiral. But uh, he's starting to come good, Joe Gomez, and, and that, that Gomez Van Dyke partnership could be something that uh, could help Liverpool this season. Yeah, I think he needs to build his confidence a bit. I mean, it was a very rash challenge. Should that give away the penalty? Um, but, you know, overall, he's, 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 he's very good positionally. He's, uh, he's good in the air and he's quick. So I think there's, you know, he's still 25. There's plenty of growth left in him. So yeah, I mean, Canate looks as if he's got even more ability in that position. But for the time being, Gomez, I think is, is, is the go-to player at centre half I wouldn't like to see too much of him at full back because he does get exposed but yeah I mean they're still in a better position than they were a couple of years ago when they had no full backs they're sorry centre halves yeah well speaking of the full backs I mean Trent Alexander-Arnold um Look, he was okay last night, but caught out a couple of times defensively, and, and that's hardly a surprise this season given the, the narrative that's been there around Trent. But um, is that an issue? Is that an issue that, that we're going to eventually stop talking about? But I guess when the, when the England squads are, are up for discussion, Trent's defensive capabilities are also going to be up for discussion. Well, look, he's never going to be Southgate's sort of player. It's a risk reward situation, and he gives you more rewards than actually the negatives. So Klopp loves that about him, whereas Southgate is very much a, you know Southgate is more timid in the in that sense, and that's why England won't win the World Cup, you know, because he he doesn't release the pace, he doesn't release the uh, the young players who can damage the opposition. The thing about Trent, you've got to account for him if you're the opposite manager. You've got to double up on him. You've got to make sure you you know, stop him, get him forwards. And if you've got three players in your team that the opposition manager has to worry about, then you should be winning. Southgate's got 
got three players. He doesn't use them like that. He'd rather be more negative. He'd rather play in a more structured manner where, you know, so uh, Alexander-Arnold is never going to be that sort of player. So, uh, you know, and let's face it, does anyone who supports Liverpool care about England? I was going to... I was going to ask you that actually because like if 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 Trent um, were uh, like a pivotal part of this team it might change that kind of strange dynamic where I was wondering if you go into a bar like in Liverpool during the World Cup and England are playing and he's not even playing Trent now what's the attitude like well, there'll always be England fans. You know, it's like, yeah, as you know, you, there's the banners there on the cop. We're not English for scouts. Loads of us feel that way. And loads of us sort of take take a, a, a guilty pleasure in seeing England beaten. And, um, you know, it's, well, naturally, there's nothing guilty about it. You know, we, we don't like them. You know, it's one of them. So if he doesn't play, but there'll still be people in England shirts, you know, to, to the city's shame. And um, there'll still be uh, crosses of St. George flying around. But, I think it'll it'll alienate people even more from the England team. Can I just mention, Tony, before we get to the panorama doc, um, I guess <clears throat> the criticism leveled at, at Jurgen Klopp from Manchester City quarters after the uh, the comments uh, that he had before the City game at the weekend around, <clears throat> I guess, City's spending power and Newcastle's spending power to that degree as well. Um, xenophobic, I think, was one of the words used, uh, you know, since that game at the weekend. Pretty remarkable um, that Klopp's having to come out and, and defend himself like this. But uh, what was what was your take on the whole thing? Well, I got a text from uh, a journalist who was, who was involved, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You know, the moral vacuum that exists at the heart of Manchester City is staggering for them to come out with that after the. Just have a little bit of trouble. With Tony on the line, uh, but if he were to leave on that note, like he's so right, moral, yeah. moral vacuum, um, and you might you might point out that perhaps Klopp was using it uh, using this uh, platform prior to a massive game for Liverpool to kind of you know stoke the flames a bit. But he's right, yeah, and and like <clears throat> listening to Philippe Clare last night on the show, like he was talking about Eddie Howe, and and like I mean, how can you divorce yourself from this? You can't. This is the this is the thing, but but the fact that even had Eddie Howe jumping in on on you know Clapper running down the touchline and I guess the treatment, which you're you're not going to condone, you know Clapper running after a, an official in any in any way, but the fact that Eddie Howe can come out and and use his moral compass to to talk about it uh, and to critique it in any way, given that he kind of completely just didn't answer questions about the Saudi regime taking over he know Eddie, Eddie Howe knows in his heart and soul because he's a good man he knows in his heart he's and educated. soul he talks, this is wrong yeah he's spoken before about mm. you know when he was a player reading newspapers on the way to matches and mm. he's, he's built up this image of himself as a, as a well read well versed <clears throat> character <clears throat> excuse me but I mean when, when you're not answering questions about the Newcastle or about the Saudi regime and then you come out months later and, and start talking about morality in terms of clapping after officials and the bad example that sets and you know and and Think what about the kids? Kind of vibe. That's that's just not great. Um, it, it extends to Newcastle fans as well. I'm sorry, like, but I mean, you're buying into your 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 club's um, upsurge in fortunes is based on a horrible uh, oil state, basically that has done a lot of bad things, and mm. you are associated with that. And granted, Go United were almost taken over by Saudi Arabian consortium, and there, but for the grace of God, go I. But I mean, let's be honest. You know what this is? Yeah, it's sports washing. What's your take on on? Um Watching the World Cup, um, look, I, we can talk to the cows come home about people's individual choices, but I mean, it's it's one of those things where you almost feel like once the World Cup starts, the sports washing element of it is going to disappear. 
to a, to a certain degree, we're not going to forget about the human rights issues or LGBT or, or women's rights. But I mean, it, it, leave, it leaves a, a bad taste in the mouth when you're, when you're watching games. But inevitably, and I'll be one of those people probably where the football starts and it, it goes to the back of your head as opposed to the forefront of your head. Like it, it does to an extent. Like you, you can engage in what about over here all day. Like no state is perfect, and um, like in terms of the Middle East is full of basket case dictatorships. Effectively, mm. uh, a lot of oil wealth screwing up. Um, you know the world in many ways. Poor countries like Yemen, that's basically in the middle of it. Qatar is extremely wealthy, and on the index of sort of axis of evil, it would be kind of down there. It's not the worst regime in the world. So the fact that Qatar got the World Cup is bad, but it's more so the fact that. What is the point of this? Like, there, yeah. there's no legacy of having a World Cup in Qatar. It's a, it's a small country full of expats. These these stadia, some of them are literally going to be, I think, like picked up again and dismantled after it. So there's no legacy. If you want to have a World Cup in the Middle East, which would be an amazing thing in a country that is football mad, have it somewhere else. Like, but not Qatar. And then you bring in the obviously the abuses you mentioned and the horrific loss of people who are working in awful, awful yeah. heat. Like, you've no you've no idea. Like, we were given out in 25 degrees last year. These are people working in 50 degree heat whose, yeah. whose passports are probably taken off them and you know the, the, the FIFA don't care about that they, they just don't care and then when you add in the element of the ridiculous World Cup in, in the winter which you know entails all this um, difference to the fixture list and asking players to do stuff that they shouldn't do it was the one World Cup that I didn't, really didn't want Ireland to qualify or certainly didn't give a damn if they didn't it's just wrong on so many levels and uh, uh yeah, I I won't be able to enjoy it that much. Genuinely, I won't. And I there are a lot of games I just won't watch because it's like this is this is sanitised and I should be better than this. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Look, Tony's line obviously wasn't uh, playing ball there, but we will get Tony on another day as well to talk about that BBC. He was around. great as well. I I, I just yeah. find that whole Liverpool England attitude so fascinating. It's, I mean, we have Rangers fans singing the Queen in Anfield, and Liverpool fans are booing the hell out of them. It's like, but it's fascinating when Tony it, says that like going into pubs during the World Cup, and you'd almost expect Liverpool fans to be getting a. a Strange sense, strange sense of joy out of England mm. losing games, which is mad. Like. It is, it is because like, understandable, like to to a degree, but but also mad, like mm. hard to believe. Nearly, like, we have that in Northern Ireland, obviously, but that's yeah. like far more complex. Um, and the, the, it does fascinate me, but um, yeah, it the. The, tr- the Trent debate, I, I can see where Southgate is coming from. He's not a great defender, like. But yeah. he, Tony's point is like, well, England can't win the World Cup because he's too conservative. Maybe he's right. Yeah, a couple of the comments on on Trent as well. Uh, Fergus Keogh on YouTube. There was another Trent moment last night in the second half when a cross came over and he was in the middle of the box, ball watching. Fortunately, the West Ham attacker miss hit the, uh, the shot straight to Allison. Uh, P. Well says Trent can't defend. He is a weak defender who the opposition target. That's a fact. Well, I, I said I'm in an absolute show myself on Saturday, where I essentially predicted Man City. Well, you did would, want to say this, would win sorry. three or four. I think I said four one, right? Yeah, you did. Um, and um, I was, I was put my money where my mouth is. To be fair, yeah, you, know, you didn't so sit in the fence, Johnny. You didn't sit in the fence. That. that was grand. And I was like, if Liverpool lose this game, which I expect them to, they'll be 17 points behind Arsenal, right? Yeah, they're now seven points behind Man City <laughs> in a title race that was basically done. Football um, comes at you fast. Johnny. It comes at you fast. So they, 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 like the Rangers' first half, they were very poor, but I do think it actually gave them a lifting confidence and they rolled their look a bit last night but now they're kind of things are looking okay Nunes is scoring goals mm. 
it's 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 mad. That's why we get paid to come in and say that was a good game, and then next week, oh, they didn't play well last night. There's a crisis. Like, yeah, yeah. You know. it's funny how quickly it all happens. Uh, Sixteen minutes past eight on this Thursday morning. OTBM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember Effortless Shave, Magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. After the break, Kim Croaks captain Shane Cunningham will join us in studio. OTBAM with Gillette in association with Movember Effortless Shave, Magnificent Mo. All right, 19 minutes past eight on Thursday mornings, OTBM. Delighted to say myself and Johnny joined in studio by the Kim McCud Croaks captain, Shane Cunningham. Morning, Shane, how are things? Morning, very good now. Thanks for having me. You're, uh, it's what's Thursday now. You're not still, I know the Monday Club is still a thing in, in Gaelic after celebrating. Did you, did you get the Monday Club after being Yeah, the, the Monday weekend? Club was definitely still a thing. And I think a few lads at the Tuesday Club as well. But, um, <laughs> the Wednesday Club was called off by Robbie, I think, and we're back trying tonight. So you're, you're the captain, so you, do you have to, are you the one that has to cut the cord on the, on the, Celebrations, or is it the opposite where you have to be the one to be the last man standing? Yeah, I think I have to be the last man standing now. I don't think I was the last man standing this week, so I let them down in that regard. But uh, I know, uh, I think most lads will be sensible enough to, to call it a day when, when it suits them. It's usually the, the boar's head, isn't it? The, the, do you do a local pub, or do you, is it a tradition every year? Yeah, our tradition would be the goat pub there in Goatstown. Right. Um, so we're, we're usually down there for the Monday club, and we head into town then after, so we had, we had a good time. What are the thoughts now that you've had time, a bit of time to reflect on the game last weekend? Narrow one, one point win, but look, as we were talking about before we even come, come, came on air today, like winning two, winning two Dublin Senior Championships in a row is no mean feat. Um, yeah, winning any number of Dublin Senior Championships is no mean feat. But Nafina put up a stern challenge. Oh, they did, yeah. Like Nafina, we're always going to be a really tough test. Um, I've spoken before about how tough the Dublin Championship is, and, and definitely this year was the same. And um, I said maybe on paper it was probably the two best teams in the final so it was always going to be a tight game and it definitely was but yeah to do back to back is an unbelievable achievement um, obviously the last two years have been very successful but up to 2018 so I started playing senior 2013 I didn't get near county final so I'm definitely not taking these days for granted What's the change been? Uh, Robbie Brennan I suppose he came in in 2019 and he was just a new lease of life to the, to the whole team of the club um, he kind of he just got us back playing football and got the enjoyment back in it. Um, gave us a really good structure and um, I suppose it just got a momentum maybe over the, over the years and we're very confident in, in how we play now and, and our, our team structure and, and what we want what, what we want to do is uh, on the pitch. When you say that, so can can you be under I don't know like because football has changed. Can you be in a system where the enjoyment is slightly gone out of it, or when you say he brought the enjoyment back, how do you mean? Yeah, so like I said, say chemical crooks traditionally yeah, a football and club, um, and I suppose since I was grown up uh, in, in chemical, poor McDonald from the age of four or five was getting us to kick the ball, kick the ball, and maybe in the previous management we went away from that a small bit, um, and and Robbie when he came back in, it, it was the emphasis was more so. On, on attacking football and I suppose 2018 was when we lost him unlocked and to an extent it was kind of gung-ho attack and, and maybe it, it worked to a certain extent and you we have did, to refine it you have to do refine yeah. yeah yeah like and I, I, I think it, it can work to a, an extent but I think attack maybe wins games and we, we kind of said defence wins championships so um, over the years we've refined it and we, we've worked on it and I think we're, we're at a level now where we're comfortable uh, at, at how we play mm. might just get you to pull that mic slightly clo- closer towards you yeah. again but uh, like Thinking about the Kilku game last year, like is there, is there an element of, of hurt pushes you on further because he was so close to an All Ireland Championship last year, uh, and f- heavy favourites I would say probably heading into the final maybe not in your own camp in your own heads but um, does that disappointment kind of kick you on and give you that that extra sting in your tail for this year? Yeah, naturally enough, I suppose 
you're, you're, you're absolutely heartbroken after the game and I probably didn't want to see a football for, for a few months afterwards but yeah when you go back training for me anyway the, the, like that scar would always be there but to make that scar a little less obvious would be to go on and try and mend it and go on and win one so um, yeah I suppose deep within I suppose it is a motivating factor to, to try help your get over a defeat like that I think the flip side as well Shane is the likes of Nace of a wound from last year if you meet that they'll be like we, we actually feel we didn't perform against you <laughs> yeah absolutely like, Nace put up a tough challenge last year I think they were missing one of their star fours and Derek mm-hmm. Irwin I'm sure they're coming in this year gunning for us um, and we're going to have to be at our best in, in two and a half weeks time to, when we face them so uh, absolutely like as in teams are definitely going to be coming up against us uh, with the same same approach You've one element, a uh, new element this year added, and that's uh, Shane Walsh. I'm just looking at some of the stats here. Someone, uh, Shane so, himself is basically a goalie man. He's, he's well, of course, a human killer. Aaron, like, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll touch on that for sure. <laughs> Shane Walsh scored 18 points uh, for Kilmacutter en route to the, the title. So, come on as a sub against Temple Oak. That, that game scored a point. Quarter final against Kula kicked five points, three frees, and one mark. Semi final started against Thomas Davis, scored eight points, eight, uh, five frees, 145. And then in the final uh, last weekend against Nafian, he was brilliant, four points, uh, including one free, four brilliant points as well what what has he brought it seems an obvious question but like what sort of uh, attitude has he brought to training and, and, and even matches as well it, it's it's quite clear that he's he's been a good acquisition absolutely yeah <laughs> it's a little bit of an understatement <laughs> just slight understatement there, yeah. uh, I, I think everyone in the country knows how good Shane Walsh yeah, was yeah. like you know when he was joining us it was obviously going to be a, a major addition to us Um uh, like he's in, uh, what I've been most impressed about him is off the pitch and how he's integrated into the squad like obviously I said last week there's a, a concern about not a concern but a kind of when, when any young fella has joined the team coming up from minor or coming up from the intermediate team how they'll integrate with the team and I suppose when Shane came in that was maybe naturally the concern of, of how he might kind of fit in with the squad but like I said the, the bit I've been most impressed about him is, is off the pitch he's made a massive effort to get to know everyone um, with Galway gone so far in the All-Ireland Championship he was coming in in the middle of our Championship it couldn't have been easier for him but he's made a huge effort with our team with the club in general he, he was down supporting ladies football numerous nights at their county final uh, he's down coaching teams in the club um, his mum and dad have been out of all the games in the clubhouse there the last, last Sunday night so they're getting to know your mums and dads like, so like, him and his family have made a massive effort just to, to fit in with Kim and uh, that's what I'd be most impressed about him to be honest What was your take on the whole controversy at the time I know the whole transfer was a little bit protracted and took maybe longer than it should have or could have taken but um, what, what's your thought on that generally within the GEA that, that this whole issue of, of swapping clubs and people I guess needing to do it for work purposes and not travelling up the road yeah and look, looking at the ideal world like, in, we would all love to, to be playing for our home our home club and like Shane is no different I'm sure he'd be loved down, to be down in Galway playing for, for his home club but uh, like you said work circumstances you take that he's up in Dublin and um, I think Shane got to a stage where he felt like he couldn't travel up and up and down to Galway anymore for, for that um, and he made a decision to move up and look I know it's not an ideal situation but um, like GA is part of the community and I think people would rather see Shane Shane Walsh playing football um, than not playing football and if that was the case that he wasn't able to play football in three or four years time because he was travelling up and down to Galway I think we would be better off like, I was saying this morning like Mannion and Walsh are probably two of the most talented footballers to have ever played the game I think that's fair to say it's not an exaggeration what was the WhatsApp group like we're talking about WhatsApp groups was it like did you read it in the papers or was it like Gee, Shane Walsh could be joining us this could be interesting <laughs> yeah, we were actually we were out on holidays in Spain and, and Robbie, Robbie kind of pulled me over and 
and uh, Gal, we were playing Mayo, and uh, he just kind of pointed up the screen. Shane was there, and he goes, "What, what do you think of Shane Walsh joining?" What do you think? <laughs> Not having. I, I was worried about getting <laughs> dropped first of all, um, <laughs> and then yeah, no, we, we, that was kind of the first time we spoke about it. We, we, we spoke. Do you think it was a laugh? Like, like is this? Because it was so, it was so left field at the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, he kind of, yeah, he was. I did think it was a bit of a laugh at the start, and then he kind of goes, "No, no, seriously." And uh, we did. We spoke about it more seriously after that, but that was kind of the first hint of uh, of the rumor I got about him joining. And uh, yeah, look, we spoke about it more seriously afterwards and how we'd fit in and how things would work. And um, it wasn't just a case of I think coming in that was it. Like that, there was things to be considered. And um, I think Robbie talked to a few of us. He spoke with the management team and um, he spoke with the the club chairman as well. Like it wasn't just a case of him coming in and that was it. Like that, there was things to be considered. About. I have to, like if that timeline is right, you have to respect the people involved because that was not leaked. Like in fairness, that yeah. was kept under under wraps, and that's impressive in this day and age. In the G, yeah. Extremely in the WhatsApp <laughs> world that we live in, like it's extremely <laughs> impressive. Next time they'll leak it to off the. <laughs> yeah. You've tight WhatsApp group, obviously. Um, yeah, like, and, and what's he like in training then, Shane? Is he is he is it the type of thing where he's just doing things where you're like this is ridiculous? Yeah, he's probably he's probably better in training. Some of the stuff he's in training, you'd be you'd just be laughing. Right. Like, you know, he'd be dinking the keeper and stuff like that. So um, <laughs> two feet as well. Yeah, like he, he is. He's ridiculous, and uh, like himself, Mannion are, are two quality players. So. Um, as inside forwards, we're, we're kind of screaming for the ball, and the two of them are pinging the ball over from sixty yards. So, <laughs> in that regard, it, it can be difficult. But uh, no, yeah, in training, the, the, he, he is—he's unbelievable. It's unfortunate for Paul, like just this, this, to be injured again. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, look, I was heartbroken from like his last year was tough for him. Obviously, I think it was against Port Ireland, and he got injured, and he missed the, the midst of the Leinster final then, and obviously the semi final final. So. I think we, we touched on earlier on about kind of making amends for the, the last year, and I think Paul was desperate to do that. He really was, like you know. And since he's kind of come back into the club and committed full time to the club, he's been he's been unbelievable. Like you know, he's been a massive driving force for it, and to be out injured again and to miss this campaign, yeah, it's it's really tough for me. When you'd heard um, Desi announcing that 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 Paul and, and Jack McCaffrey were coming back to the, the Dublin panel, what was your immediate thoughts? This is all right, Carrier. Carrier finished. <laughs> it's over. I uh, put words in your mouth. <laughs> I, I was I surprised. Yeah, yeah. No, I was surprised because um, like, I wouldn't ask Paul. I'd be friends with him, but I wouldn't be asking him. Like he's in, I think the last time I heard him speak about it was maybe with yourselves when he was on. And, yeah, yeah. Um, he kind of indicated that he was going to be concentrating on the club, and um, I hadn't really talked to him about it or asked him about it. He gave me no indication, and um, he he mentioned kind of before it came out in the media, and I said, "No, fair play to go back." Like. Um, uh, you're still he's still one of the best footballers in the country so um, I'm sure uh, everyone would be delighted to see him playing for Dublin next year apart from Kerry maybe Can you relate to that um, like wariness of just the commitment involved like because the club is hard enough Oh it is yeah and like especially for Paul like, like GA definitely doesn't dictate his life like he's gone off travelling before he's uh, professionally he's very driven um, so like he's in he, he does it he does it, or like, like all of us we, we've other things in our life apart from GA and um, I think it just got to a stage where he, he wanted to explore those things and he did and um, he's gone back next year now and I'm sure he'll be he'll be unbelievable well, how, how do you see next year panning out it's, it's hard at this stage early, early days yet but I mean if Dublin do have the two lads back in at full fitness uh, I mean Kerry were brilliant last year but but it certainly adds an, an enticing element to the to the championship next year it does yeah like Kerry were Kerry were very good this year and um, they obviously let go in the final and Dublin ran ran Kerry very close and obviously with the two lads going, going back in it would definitely be an addition to, to Dublin and um, 
I suppose from a, a mindset approach even for the rest of the wider Dublin squad to have them last back would be a massive benefit so I'm sure I'm sure Dublin will win next year full of confidence and it might drive Kerry on next year it might kind of like get them kind of focused on, on things a bit quicker and um, so yeah I think it will just add to an interesting championship You're definitely mad to touch on the Galway links aren't you? Well, obviously Shane Hannon is a kind of a Galway name. It is. Uh, well, my dad, Dunmore. my dad, uh, Dunmore man. Yeah. Um, I'm from Newbridge. I'm from. We're all essentially northeast Galway. You're like Killerair and Tume. Um, like that is dad, the absolute yeah. heart of. Like, it was one of my regrets that they moved the Ch- uh, Tume Stadium away as being the county um, ground because Tume is the home of football. Or I would have thought, but you have the pedigree for the job. The job, Shane. Could be a Galway. <laughs> so Galway your dad's club is what Killerair. My dad's club is Killerair. So poor Joyce. Poor, poor Joyce club. Like support. you could transfer. You could. I mean, you could transfer. <laughs> you heard it here first. I think that would make as many headlines. Shane was Tume stars as well. Tume stars. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, Port Joyce would have been my hero going up like honestly really? I would have been going to Galway games when I was younger kind of sporting Galway more so than Dublin yes. lately um, and Port Joyce would have been would have been my hero uh, growing up um, and I've met him a couple of times um, and then yeah obviously my mum was from uh, Chum as well just done more road there so Chum so yeah there's a few Galway connections there when we had the thing like <clears throat> Vinny's coming in to talk about he had to be there my, I, I, I mistook it that I had to give my five but like his performance Shane Watts performance in that final last year you're like oh. am, I, am I actually seeing this in defeat uh, admittedly but you're like as Gaelic football has been so maligned at times and you're like between him and Clifford you're like this is an amazing sport when it's played well yeah it really was like, the two of them in that game were it was as good as kind of shoot off as, mm, as a shoot off as, like, as I've ever seen like you mm. know um, I was sitting at home thinking Jesus this is just going to make the headlines even worse now <laughs> for us like when he doesn't yeah. actually join like, you know, but uh, I, you know that day just watching them it was unbelievable the, the, the some of the, the point scoring um, it was phenomenal it was like Park Joyce against me then 2001 2001 you got 10 yeah. points or something. Yeah, yeah yeah I remember like Michael Donlan would have been my hero growing up as Dunmore more man you know I just upset even Jaff Fallon Derek Savage all those lads from that team Derek Savage like, yeah, yeah. do you remember going to would you have gone to Galway matches with your yeah, dad as a kid yeah 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 um, I can remember like the the tight one against Armagh maybe in 2001 yeah. mm. um, I can remember going to a lot of those games but yeah like isn't yeah like like Savage Donlan uh, Pork Joyce uh, Gary Fahey was he yes, the captain back yeah, then like yeah. Yeah, those kind of lads would have when did you get your first Dublin jersey then Jamie uh, Mack when was that it would have been oh, I'd say probably when I started playing development squads like it was always <laughs> Pat, my dad was always putting a Galway jersey on to me like. <laughs> and Pat Pat was a, a cooler club man yeah so he moved up to Dublin um, in I think it was the 80s maybe and he, he kind of joined Kula for a couple of years and played for Kula so um, I think yeah I touched on it before that that was the kind of plan was for me to play for Kula um, and then Pork McDonald came into my primary school um, and Monaghan man he is yeah yeah. Um, always a link there's always, a link, always back, a link back, back, to, back to the country like yeah. you know uh, yeah he came in and he was the, the development officer for Crokes and kind of the leaflet was given to us I brought it home to mum and dad and I wanted to go to Crokes and, and that was it like Jesus, so the cool the cooler manager and chairman are just sitting watching this right now, going, "Ah, oh, Jesus!" Because your hurlers as well. It's like the Crokes are just on a juggernaut at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Like, in, like there's not a doubt about it. We're doing really well, and uh, touch touch wood there. The hurlers can can win on on Sunday as well. But um, like I said, like it's in, it's good at the minute. But like it's in from 2000 and. 
like I think our last county final before 2018 was 2012 like so there was that six year gap where we were nowhere nowhere near it so we're doing well at the moment and I suppose these things come in, in cycles so like, Dublin uh, must be nearly like a provincial inter-county system is that competitive like oh, it is like he's in like the, the Dublin club championship I think it must be the most competitive yeah. club championship in the country like he's in on any given day like even in our in our uh, group stages against uh, some of the teams there like I was getting in the first game against Rohini and I genuinely was nervous going into it thinking we could, it could been upset in the cards here. Raheem, they're really good side. They're good players, um, and you, that, that, that's kind of what you have to do in yeah. Dublin. Like, if you're not on it, you get caught. Like, Ballantyre in the next game, people were thinking that like we're naturally stronger. We're, we're going to beat them. Like, it was a really tight game. The ball was cleared off the line with about five minutes to go. We we're only two points up. Like, I think we won the game by four points. So it's uh, every game can be really, really tight. It's touch and go. Like the. Yeah, obviously you had to watch the Kilku lads lift the Andy American Cup last year, but 2009 wasn't it? Kilmacud last one, yeah. Ireland Club. Um, you probably remember that. That watching yeah. that as a, as a fan as well. I mean, that must have been uh, special, and it's probably whetted your appetite more to do it as well. Yeah, it did. Like for me, when I was growing up, like I suppose my dream was always play for Kilmacud nearly more so than Dublin like isn't um, it was always kind of looking at the likes of Darren McGee Johnny McGee Ross O'Carroll Dave Nesta Papericks it was all those lads that I kind of looked up to they were my heroes watching Crokes and yeah to, to play for Kim McCudd was was always my dream to be part of a team to win a championship was a dream and to captain the club to do it is is like beyond kind of what I can put into words really it's funny we we talked on the on the show the other morning myself and Jer about the side the sheer size of the club and TG Carr had some stats up the other day about mm. the number of I think the number of teams say for example the Fianna had was more than the number of playing members that Ballyhill Shamrocks had yeah obviously the Kilmacud numbers weren't far off um, like we we talk about community spirit at, at some of the you know the village teams or the town teams across the country, but do you still are, are you, do you still manage to kind of bottle that community spirit and feel in Kilmacud regardless of the sheer volume of of, of teams? Yeah, like I think it's easy sometimes just to dismiss like clubs like Kilmacud and maybe Fianna and Ballyboden as just super clubs and there's nothing going on. Like, and I can only speak from Croke's perspective. Like, but like in Kilmacud we have obviously the, the football, we have the hurling, we have ladies football, we have but then outside of that there's there's like a cycling club. There's there's um, a sneaker club, there's an inclusion club for kids with disabilities on a Friday, um, there's an Irish speaking club, there's a mental talk, mental health talks um, in the club. So like it, like it literally is Part the hub of, of the community, like is in, not everyone's playing Gaelic football and hurling camogie, but like there's way more stuff going on in the club than just that. Like, so it, it literally is the hub of the community. So it's really kind of opposite to what the perception is out there. Like, um, So yeah, for, for me, I can only speak from Crow's perspective, but it's, it's a massive part of the community. Even the fact that it's a, as you say, a dual club as well. It's such a. It's funny that the, the football final last weekend is the same pairing as the as the hurling final as yeah, well. Yeah, against the Fianna. Like yeah. that must be quite special as well to see the club able to compete on on two fronts in two sports. Yeah, it is. Like, and obviously, I think we only, we only Brian Sheehy is the only uh, dual player in the, on the team, and I think traditionally maybe Ross O'Carroll would have only been the one kind of playing both over the years. So there, there doesn't seem to be a massive crossover uh, of players. Why is that, you? I don't know. I don't know. Like, like I know down the country, I was this. I was reading one of Brian Sheehy's articles there before I came in, and he he was kind of touching on falling between two stools, and I personally think it could be part of that. Um, like isn't down the country if there's less players you kind of have to facilitate them more but when there's so many players playing up in Dublin that 
I think it's very difficult to, to, to kind of facilitate everyone like isn't it? it's okay for one or two to do it but um, when there's so many players competing for positions um, I think it's very difficult to do it like. So the manager it'd be hard for him or her to say well you can't like if you're training one night less maybe you know I'll give player X the nod ahead of you kind of thing or? Yeah and I think that's actually exactly what Brian said in, mm. in his article he was kind of saying that like he doesn't train any more or any less than um, say I do across the two weeks like he, he's mm. 50% hurl and 50% uh, mm. football but like when when Robbie uh, or the the, the the hurling management go down to, to pick the team if it is a kind of a toss up a 50-50 decision if one lad has had an extra train to perform it could just sway us marginally like to you know I think it's kind of one of the sad things of the progression like because Conor Callahan, like if he hurled you'd be like Jesus you don't believe yeah. like if yeah. Neil Dunne would be like yeah we could win the All-Ireland here possibly who yeah. knows do you know what I mean it's yeah, like, yeah. and it's just I guess it is it's it's hard to see how it can happen in the modern era oh, it is yeah like like you're touching on Conor there, like, isn't, like he Broke him with good hearts for mm-hmm. a few years there when, when Kula were, were on those runs to the All Ireland final. He, he put up massive scores against Crokes in, in county finals, unfortunately. But um, yeah, no, it, it just it, it's so hard like isn't to, to do the duel. I think if you have if you have seven or eight lads on each team, I think it, 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 I think for me personally, it would be it would be very difficult to do um, well. Anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. The sliding doors moments for maybe if if you'd kept playing for Kula, Con never would have got playing for for Kula back in the day. So you never you just never. <laughs> <laughs> Learned a lot of things here first. Exactly. Yeah. Um, interested as well, Shane. When you're the captain of a team as well, you're obviously having to pick up little tidbits on leadership and, and you know trying to, I guess, lead by example. You're a Formula One fan as well, are you? Uh, I kind of briefly one day mentioned that I watched the <laughs> yeah. documentary this and one next little throwaway comment. Formula One fan. Yeah. So but would you take? I guess my point is, would you take? You mentioned Boris Joyce was your hero. Would you take? Uh, note of other people in other sports or take interest in other sports and, and go right that's that's someone who's a po- positive leader a role model who you can kind of almost take into your own game with uh, with Kilmacott as captain as well yeah I sp- yeah. Um, I honestly I don't put too much thought into it like I know it probably doesn't make for Grace Radio or <laughs> I wouldn't put too much thought into it like um, I, I spot and I wouldn't even be massive one for roaring and shouting like I just try to leave by example um, and train and just do the best I can and um, like we're lucky enough in the team to have like your your Royal Carls and your Paul Mannion and Craig Diaz and Shane Horns like who, who can who are massive leaders as well so like yeah like I, I wouldn't be one for, for roaring and shouting and just kind of copying other players or or thing like that I just just try to go out and do my best and try give 100% and I suppose if people want to kind of follow that I'm all for it then Why were you given the nod as captain then do you think? Uh, I don't know to be honest I don't know like he's in like um, I suppose Craig Diaz was captain for for a long period of time we were joint captains then and um, Craig and Andrea had their first child and he was over in Barcelona for, for a few months last year after Covid um, and kind of Bajor said look you, you be the captain on yourself like and um, yeah I don't know it was it was I can't really explain why. Andrea not. to thank, basically. Yeah. I've Andrea, yeah, yeah to thank, thank for giving yeah. birth to me from Barcelona. Like, half, like, yeah, if you win the All Ireland, she'll be first on the list. Of yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I just ask you a final one for me, Shane? Um, yeah. Like we were, I guess the topic of has come up about referee 
abuse and treatment of referees quite often on the show um, and even Jared last week was suggesting maybe do referees need to be mic'd up in Gaelic games like they are in rugby to kind of stop that because uh, there's just stories coming out every week you know from, from the club game across the country as to treatment of referees and like we were talking before you came in as well the fact you're a guard in, in Sheriff Street as well so this is Kevin Street, yeah. Kevin Street yeah, sorry yeah. Like, this is something that guards have to deal with as well so, so it's, it's you know it, it's a matter of respect but What's your take on, on the whole situation around treatment of referees at the moment in the sport? Because it seems to be quite pertinent at the moment. It does, yeah. It seems to be. I don't know. It's kind of a tipping point at the minute. Like, there's yeah. been an awful lot of bad headlines about press about it recently, and hopefully something can be done about it. Like, I know the GA, like, deserve so come down very harshly on, on people who. Um, who are abusive um, verbally or physically towards refs. So, um, yeah, it does seem to be maybe at a tipping point. So, something probably has to be done about it because, I don't know, without refs, we, we can't play our games. They're an important part of the games. I know they frustrate people, um, but, like, isn't they're a massive part of the games. Um, so, yeah, like, it's something probably has to be done about it if, if it does continue the way it is. Great stuff. Listen, Shane, much appreciated for coming in. We'll Thank you. I'm sure you'll, you're... you're we we'll keep an eye out on you lifting the, the Andy American Cup potentially later in the later in the year. But it's all um, about Galway. Are you visualising yeah. that moment yet, or you, you don't allow yourself to get ahead too? No, too, no, too no. Far ahead. I look to I look to Parnell Park in two and a half weeks time. Yeah, yeah. Long yeah. way to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shane, thanks for coming. Thanks, man. Shane Cunningham, the uh, Chemical Croaks captain. Out to AM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Up next, Cal Milani joins us in studio for the sports news. First, here's our own Joe, Mick, and Richie talking about the positively frightful weather that the country experienced yesterday. Uh, a more interesting description than it sounds. Back after this. And there's some proper bass to some of that thunder as well today. Um, this is probably anathema to people who are listening in the west of Ireland. They probably got away with nothing. Um, but like you're able to see the amount of flashes and where they were actually located on the map. And yeah, if you're in Holt, you got some light show today. That one. I've never done that counting thing. I wouldn't have the wherewithal to do it. It's no wives' tale. But there's yeah. a certain truth in it because I think if it's right on top of you, you can see the lightning and hear the thunder simultaneously. Okay, I, it's, it's to do with like light travels faster than sounds. Yeah, that's the yeah. obvious logic. But I, I think I used to think it was one second equals one mile. Okay, which can which lead to a chilling a- conclusion. <laughs> but I, I think it's actually one mile for every five seconds. That's it, worse. It would be incredible if the, if the, the physics of it uh, equated to such a, uh, an easy-to-measure time distance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one mile equals one second. Yeah, no, that's too easy. I think it might be even worse than that. I think it's one mile every five seconds. Okay. One, two, three, <laughs> Surely four, not. Five, one mile. I like the way you're saying it's travel that slowly. I thought you were saying it's worse as if it's like it's more of an imposition upon all of us to watch these flashes to hear this thunder and go, oh God, it's terrible. Are you afraid of lightning, Joe? No. I was okay. uh, working earlier. You should be. Have a bit of respect. Was, well, sorry, yeah. I mean, I'm sure respect I, the weather, Joe. I haven't actually checked the news. I hope everybody's okay. I mean, I'm suddenly conscious that it's uh, far more serious for some people. But uh, no, I mean, like once it's it's safe, it can be kind of a, a pleasant enough thing in its own weird way. I'd say you've experienced that on the golf course more than once over the years. Standing in under the trees. Oh, I don't know if Are you supposed to do that? I don't think so. Have you ever heard the You're siren? supposed to stand under the trees. I've had the siren and everyone runs in, yeah. So I haven't waited out in it. I'm not sure if you're meant to stand in the trees, stand under no. the trees, actually. Lee Trevino was struck by lightning three times. Why is that funny? Yeah, that he was. I just wasn't expecting that. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I presume on the golf course, but famously Lee Trevino lightning. I'll dig it up for you. 
This is uh, <laughs> riveting. This feels like a slight tangent of the news around here. Yeah, yeah. Several times. I think three. Have you ever been struck by lightning? Fly through on a six for 30 cent. Text in if you have a head. I mean, we'll get all the texts in uh, this evening. We should really push on. The news round is upon us. There was a turbine, a, turbine, a wind turbine in Arklow that was struck with lightning today and is on right. fire, which doesn't sound great. Wow. Yeah. Oh. yeah, no, I mean, look, the golf course uh, can be one of the more dangerous places famously yeah uh, I, I i don't know if you're meant to stand under a tree or not i wouldn't i, I would doubt it actually and i don't know why i get in i think jumped to my mind yeah, yeah exactly yeah lads talking about lightning last night johnny when will people learn renewables <laughs> doesn't work um, that was a mad mad image yeah uh, like the lightning was i don't know i I've, I've never experienced anything like that where like you're it's fun as long as it's done in a safe way and you're not too close to it it's actually quite enjoyable to watch. i started to think of the dogs you know because dogs i always remember the dogs at home like it seemed in my in my youth it was very very rare that you get like even any thunder and lightning not to mind yesterday yeah yeah and i was thinking of the dogs and their kind of fear and all that but we we played on resolutely in that game of astro Badly, but we played on. You tried your best. Yeah. Couple of comments. Uh, great chat with Shane Cunningham, the Kilmacud Croaks captain just before the ads. Uh, Pwell74 says, Galway loving. You're dead right. It absolutely. was. Uh, and Brendan Turrish, Shane is some man. Shane Cunningham, that is. See what you did there, Brent. Like, you got me full, full of them this morning. Yeah, absolutely. I think this, this role suits you. 100%. Basically, I moved to Stony Vatter. <laughs> Everyone will be seeing you around Stony Vatter. Oh, I heard about you. I'm to Stony Vatter. <laughs> it's Smithfield, Johnny. But sure, Stony Vatter is yeah, around the corner. Yeah, same yeah. same vibe. Callum Milani, good morning. Great partner, lads. How's it going? Keeping well, keeping well. You were watching you watching United last night? I didn't see much of the football last night, unfortunately, but... Uh, by all accounts, Spurs were really poor. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. Uh, listening to Antonio Conte this morning, uh, he admitted it as much. And they're, uh, Spurs are strange this season. Like, I, I had great hopes for them at the start of the season. And bizarrely, it's their best start to a season since 1963-64, uh, which is hard to believe because they don't seem to be going that well. Mm. And when you look at the results, I think they scored six against Leicester. But bar that, they've struggled in the games that they've won, generally speaking. And they've lost the big games to the bigger teams. Mm. Uh, but still, they're thir- I think third in the table, so it's it's kind of a bizarre set of circumstances. But I still would have hoped that uh, they would mount a, a fairly seismic challenge for a top four spot at the very least beyond Christmas. Um, Some of the comments I never understand. Mark C. Ronaldo gone by January, maybe yeah, fair enough. But he adds, I'd sell Fred in the morning. He's useless. Fred was he certainly wasn't useless. It might it might be that. Um, he just needs a position and a manager who believes in him. But he, he like, if Fred were to, the, his, his energy last night, he kept going right until the end when they were 2-0 up and the game was won. Great attitude, like, and deserved that bit of luck with the goal. It's it's a confidence game, as you know, Johnny, from from the Astro match last night. The, the, I think that's the fifth mention now of that. Uh, it was at one o'clock. Game. That was the thing. It wasn't even night time. It was one o'clock during the day. Now, lightning at Johnny night with this Astro match. That was, was really bad night. weather at that time. It was terrible. Yeah. Because like, I, I, we arrived and was like, we've kind of gotten away with one here. Oh, no. Oh, no. In every sense. You any good at the Astro, Gal? Uh, I haven't played Astro in a long time, actually. Usually, we, like a game at Christmas time now is about the, the height of a tough. Mm. It is tough. Yeah, yeah, tough. Yeah. As, like the, it, pe- people who play and train the whole time. Um, yeah, I think long term, it's what's your footwear for your your Astro match? Um, yeah, we're the Moldies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. L- like yesterday was torrential now, but I, I do wonder have they done enough studies in terms of people who train and play on Astro professionally? The knees, it's not. It's not natural. Like, um, and it was interesting. Just when Derry played 
treaty at the weekend, Tommy Barr, the treaty manager, said afterwards, which I had never heard before, he said, the Astros holding Derry back. We, as a grossly unfair, inferior team here, could kind of manage them on the Astro, but if it were a grass pitch, we wouldn't be able. Mm. And I hadn't heard that before, and I thought it was an interesting argument that the Astro is actually neutralising the difference here, yeah, yeah, even really? though it's their home what, ground. Why do you think... Why? I think it's the way the ball, like, it's just not natural. So you're, you're like, the ball is holding up unnaturally. And Astro, Astro pitches then, like, you, you look at the Brandywell at times, it looks okay. And then you look at Oriel, they get worse. And obviously they're overused. Mm. Like, when Rovers played in Europe in Mulder, was it? And the Astro pitch, you wouldn't even know it was uh, artificial. But they get worse. And then they look more black than green because of all the pellets. And we were, we were all familiar with that when you come home. And yeah. God forbid, like, um, you know, you have a, a partner who's trying to clean the house because they're just a mess like but that's what happens they put all these black kind of rubbery things and I, I'm not a fan of it at all now we've had you'll, you'll, you'll know the Kenny Cunningham food montage that sometimes go out on, on, on the evening yes. you know, we, we, there's undoubtedly going to be a montage of you reminiscing about the game in the Astro and seeing how many times you can mention the Astro tournament that's great when it, you get to like 40 odd and just, is know, it you, that you're proud that you played in the bad weather and you, you stuck it out is that, is that? Uh, not really I, I, my point was that um, I'd never experienced weather like that before it was nothing to do with me, me being proud or anything. It was just like, there was <laughs> so be, much. You should be proud, was, It was about 10, 10 separate moments over the course of maybe half an hour where there was massive thunder and lightning. And that was, and then when you, when you see the lightning, you're just, you, you, you lose concentration. Like, I'm waiting for the noise of the thunder now. That's my excuse. Anyway. <laughs> Wait for the thunder. Uh, you're a good player, aren't you? Aren't you? Ah, I'm all right. More of the Astro. Have you seen him, Sunday Carl? Modest. He's too modest. I believe he's very good. <laughs> Sunday league player. Carl has a war wound from sport. <laughs> yeah. He was like, That's don't play Astro, up. folks. Don't play Astro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a learning <laughs> lesson. This injury happened to you a while ago, Carl. So it's yeah, a learning it lesson yeah, for anyone yeah, to, to get, yeah. your, get your sore hands. <laughs> get it checked out. It's yeah. like four months ago or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't fall over in the Astro. A uh, couple of people, uh, Carrick United, Bruno Anonymous, 34 passes in the final third, highest on the pitch. Michael Jester says Sancho had a per game, absolutely no impact on the game at all, and did none of the hard running that Rashford and Anthony were doing. I've been guilty on this show a couple of times of defending Sancho to the hilt when, when Jer has called him a bust and different things. Colin Buhig is the same, I know, but uh, and I'll still defend him, but he he was admittedly per last. He game. was actually, yeah, he was yeah. maybe a clash of Fernandez is the less. In fairness, Fernandez scored. He did poor first half. Yeah, and is there a sense now for you that United are making progress? <sighs> You're always wary of getting too far ahead because, you know, they could go and lose mm-hmm. to Chelsea on Saturday evening and be like, right, where does this leave them? Um, but I think there's something Johnny mentioned earlier is the attitude of the players. They're hugging each other. They're, they're smiling. Uh, like under Oli and, and certainly under Rangnick for a while, there was none of that. The body language was pretty poor. All of a sudden now, the fans are getting on board. The players seem to be enjoying the football. Um, Defensively, really sound last I mean, Varane really and Martinez, sound. all of a sudden. Yeah. Because uh, can you imagine this time last year saying neither Maguire or Lindelof will be able to get into the team? And like the two fullbacks, and like, you, remember you have De Gea there if needs be, but like, yeah. to, in fairness, as bad as Spurs were, they limited them to virtually no chances. Like, they had, Doherty had one um, kind of moment with Kane where he played a bad cross in the first half. Spurs were playing okay. I was like, this is going to be a very good game. Mm. But after that, they, they in fairness, they created nothing. And Man United deserve credit for that. I thought Dallow and and um, the sure. whole, the, I thought Shaw, the whole back four were outstanding. I really did. Yeah, very good. Uh, we've got a comment in for you, Johnny, from Peter M. Shane. Can you ask Johnny, is he coming down to Cork on Friday night? 7,000 people to <laughs> the champions. <laughs> Who was that comment in from? Peter M. Uh, I, the one thing I will say, Peter, the last times in Turner's Cross, um, best atmosphere all year at any game, both divisions, it was unbelievable. It was a nil all draw. I will be uh, in Tala 
but also thinking of Galway United's uh, dead rubber against Longford ahead of the playoffs. Best of luck to Cork City next season. Meant to ask both of you is actually uh, when we're touching on, on Cork City, the, the rather manager Matt Taylor's comments on on well, he was talking about Georgie Kelly and, and how he's become a bit of a cult hero at the at the, at the team. But then he, that uh, was a little bit. Um, not condescending, but he was talking about the League of Ireland and the level. He says he's come from Ireland, which, with no disrespect to Irish football, is the equivalent of non-league level in the English pyramid. Um, what, what did you? What I did think you that's if you're. I think that's fairly accurate. Okay. If you're, if you're to say. Uh, quality-wise, Shamrock Rovers are better than that. But Shamrock Rovers will then play like part-time teams or a college team like UCD. And in terms of resources, we we have a problem in this country. I don't know if it's like a post-colonial thing where we're, we're so wrapped up with England. English football is a total outlier. It's mm. unbelievably popular. Like, unbelievably. You've games in the fourth tier in England with like fifteen, sixteen thousand 16,000 yeah. at Bradford Games. You've games in the fifth tier with like five, 6,000 at them. Like So it's a complete outlier. There's massive money in it. And I actually think he's probably not far off. And facilities-wise... I'd, I, yeah, I bet certainly. you the fifth tier, the non-league in England is probably better than our Premier Division. Facilities are a joke in this country, an absolute yeah. joke. And if you want to get that in done, it'll take like whatever, 10 years. Yeah, like one of the lads even yesterday was talking, making the point that he's at Fleetwood and a few of those teams even have training facilities that are unlike anything. It's almost mm. like Abbottstown kind of level mm. stuff, you know? Um, it's grim because like if you if you want to, like I was in Inchicore Friday and there were a few few scousers behind me, and it turns out one of them was Tom Gravosti's dad. So I was like, "How are these scousers at a?" But they were just talking about like how cramped the seats were, and like it's, Inchy Core is like one of the nicer grounds, but it's, it's totally out of date, like yeah, totally out of date. And it's like we're even we don't even talk about like GA grounds good in this country, like often uncovered. What are the facilities like? We're so far behind. There's so much money in this country, but we can't seem to get it right. Like yeah, uh, briefly, Cal, what else is happening in the sporting well, world? There's uh, games tonight in the Premier League. Uh, Steve Stephen Jarrett, a man under pressure at Aston Villa. They take on Fulham tonight. That's at half past seven at Craven Cottage. Then at 8.15, another man under pressure. Brendan Rodgers and Leicester can move off the bottom of the table. That's if they avoid defeat against Leeds. Arsenal laid down a marker in the Women's Champions League last night. They won 5-1 away to defending champions Lyon in Group C. Chelsea begin their Group A campaign tonight away to Paris Saint-Germain. The Arsenal men's side also in European action tonight. They welcome PSV Eindhoven to the Emirates in the Europa League. That Group A match underway from six. The Republic of Ireland under 17s also in action today. They begin their European Championship qualifying campaign this evening. They take on Armenia. That game takes place in Norway and it kicks off at five. Uh, some golf action this morning. Leona Maguire and Stephanie Meadow both in action at the LPGA Tours BMW Ladies Championship in Korea. Maguire finished on level par. Uh, Meadow is two shots further back. Thailand's Ataya Titical is the leader on nine under par. Rory McIlroy has the chance to return to world number one this week if he wins at the CJ Cup. He's out from 20 past three Irish time this afternoon. Shane Lowry and Seamus Power also in action there. Nod Carney, Cormac Sharvin and Jonathan Caldwell uh, tee off in the Majorca Open uh, this morning. Uh, Mark Allen in action at the Northern Ireland Snooker Open this evening. He goes up against Xiao Gudong in the last 16. Uh, that's scheduled to get underway at around about 7 o'clock and there's racing at Thurless where the first goes to post at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Mark Allen's a good lad. Have you met him on your snooker track? I have. I, funny, I saw Mark Allen play a, an exhibition in, in the Hillgrove Hotel in Monaghan Town a few years ago with yeah. Ronnie Sullivan was there as well. He had a one four seven. Mark Allen. Wow, I um, believe that he's 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 lost a lot of weight. Yeah, in the last six twelve. So I'm talking about that that he believes that'll stand him in good stead for the longer matches, like at World Championship level yeah. and stuff. Because he was playing, which is interesting. When I went yeah. to bed last night. He was two 0 down to to Andy Lee, not the boxer, the uh, mm. Hong Kong snooker player. But 
Uh, he obviously came back and won that match, but that was a late finish. And I think it was like two a.m. when they finished. Yeah, was it or something? To like go that, again yeah. tonight, like, but he's he's got the stamina. And he, he's spoken very well about his his financial issues as well. In, in in recent times, I think he said Ronnie O'Sullivan has been someone who's been a mentor to him and kind of took him well, not under his wing, but helped him helped him through kind of the, the weight loss and that things like that as well. I I met him. I was on this kind of poker table in Killarney, and it was it was like something to do with the racing post. But I ended up landed on it. But Mark Allen was one of the players, and I think he ended up winning. The he won the. He won the poker match. It was him, him and Paul Carby on heads up, I think. Right. Which is quite interesting, but obviously got chatting to him. And Mark Allen was basically like, he was bluffing the whole way through heads up. And I was like, I know what you're doing here. But it was clear that Mark Allen didn't really have the patience for a long game of poker. Mm. And I was like, but what about your snooker? And he goes, it's a massive problem for me. My my like attention span is not good Imagine, enough for a long yeah. game of snooker. And I thought that was fascinating because whatever about a game of poker, um, he just said, I'm not really suited to the, the game itself. In that regard, like, but hopefully he's gotten better as years yeah. have gone on hopefully he kicks on for sure Cal thanks a million thanks lads Alani there OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day it's 8.58am on this Thursday morning uh, here's what we've got on OTB Sports Radio coming up for you today 1 o'clock Lance Armstrong the famous interview 3 o'clock Leaders Questions with Stuart Lancaster 4pm it's a retro panel on the boxing ring 6pm it's OTB Gold Barry Ryan on The Ascent 7pm of course the, li- the show live this evening as per usual Nathan Murphy in the hot seat he'll meet Nathan Collins uh, John Giles also on hand as he usually is on a Thursday night plus much more besides you can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB podcast network for all the very best in the latest sports content we'll be back after these ads with Vinnie Perth's You Had to Be There choices it's so unexpected it's one of those you had to be there moments you had to be there it subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life you had to be there yeah, the latest episode of You Had to Be There on OTBAM. We have uh, Vinnie Perth, the former Dundalk manager in the studio with us. Morning, Vinnie. Morning. How are we doing? You have an interesting, you have an interesting selection here. I don't know why. In my head, I was thinking we were going to have five, five soccer picks here. You just before the uh, while the ads were playing there, you mentioned a couple of the. You were c- close to a couple of moments, very famous Irish soccer moments, but not. Not there, so you couldn't pick them. Yeah, it's uh, difficult because the, um, when when I got asked to do this, it was like, oh, that's straightforward. <laughs> but then the more you realise, you weren't actually at a lot of the big moments. Yeah, and, uh, young enough to remember even um, say uh, Dave O'Leary's penalty, etc. But most of us remember George Hamilton as opposed to <laughs> being there in the stadium. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, and and there's a couple like I was at the I've seen Ireland beat the All Blacks as well quite a couple of times, right? And um, still didn't make it into my list, so it's interesting. <laughs> um, uh, a couple of strange moments that that pop up into those big moments. Well, it is rugby where where we'll start. So your first pick is uh, we're gonna we'll go in in I guess order of years. Michael Lina uh, against Ireland at the World Cup 1991, uh, Australia 19, Ireland 18, 20th of October 1991. Today, exactly. So we're on to the anniversary, oh, wow. us, which I've okay. just realised. That was Lansdowne Road, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, Lansdowne Road. Mm-hmm. So this, this, is, this is a moment where Michael Lina, I mean, he's forever linked with that Gordon Hamilton try a few minutes earlier, but um, a gutting moment for, for Irish rugby, but what a moment. Yeah, it was an amazing moment. And um, I suppose for context, I go to a lot of games, still do, and my wife does check in on me sometimes to say, I go to a huge amount of events on my own. I'm really... Since a, since a kid, so um, before I go into Michael Lyon, I say, for example, I, w- I remember watching in Dalymount Park, France, 
and um, I only was checking the dates on it recently. I was 10, 11, travelled over to Dalyman Park from Tala on my own. Just hopped so, on the bus? You just hopped on the bus. Uh, Michel Platini was the manager. Remember also in Dalymount, uh, Ireland played, I think it was Morocco or something like that, and going again on my own and standing on the terrace. <laughs> so they're obviously different times, you know, in terms of uh, um, travelling across the city now, but... Um, I went to I went to this Ireland Australia game on my own as well right. um, as a schoolboy, and um, just um, I, some of my family are involved with um, St Mary's Rugby Club, obviously. And I ended up I pick don't know how I picked up a ticket. It was that long ago, but ended up at a, a really like huge moment in Irish sport at the time. And Irish uh, rugby has had so much success of late, but back then beating Australia was mm. was unheard of and um and for context for some some of my picks is what um I'm sort of what's the word middle aged now so not everything I've done was already today yeah yeah <laughs> I, I I sort of half heard it, but not everything was on um on your phone not everything was on TV mm. so seeing someone like Michael Lyon it was only a snapshot it was only a couple of times a year you couldn't uh, just turn on YouTube and watch moments of of different bits and pieces but this Australian team, and and I suppose what what sort of what I got out of that game was obviously there was there was the amazing moments um, um, in terms of uh, Ireland's tries and mm. people jumping onto the pitch, and but it was like you're watching for me, and maybe uh, maybe that was. Uh, the sort of the coach or the way my brain worked you were looking at a tactician <laughs> like he was a number 10 you were looking at this I, I was just in awe of him and what what happens with the great teams is there's a myth about them and there was a real sense for me even someone like oh, I was a t- barely a teenager at that stage 10, 11 I'm watching it going there's an air of uh, inevitability about Australia scoring and, and, and the ultimate did <laughs> and it turned out it was him that caught the big moment and um, it was a choice uh, I, I sort of go to these games and you watch people, but I remember watching Lina over Campisi as well was mm. was the main was sort of the big name at the time. But Michael Lina scored all the points on that day, and he was just sensational. And he got a little bit of luck with the try, but at the same time, the greats are always there when the when it's there to my, steal that. My moment. nephew went to Old Trafford last night. His first game. He's like ten, I think. And you know, I I'm wondering, is it nostalgia or were things better when we didn't have access? It was like you say, because like back in those days, even the Premier League or yeah. there wasn't that much football on the box. Like mm. no, it was kind of better for that in a way. Yeah, well, well, there's no doubt quality has improved, mm. but also, um, and I'm guilty of it myself. We all also overanalyze what happens in a, in a mm. game. So if we were to if that game was to be analysed now, you'd have radio shows, you'd have newspapers, you'd yeah. have, um, and uh, I think we're sort of missing a little bit of uh, substance in terms of. Uh, sport at the moment so like on, on, on your point I remember Liverpool 3-0 down as a kid and um, against Manchester United oh, if you remember Razor, Razor I was there that day we at the game yeah and Razor Ruddock didn't make the list amazing header no but because Liverpool weren't that good yeah you know? oh, they were and terrible they were terrible <laughs> if you look back they were terrible they like. were terrible on the day and they weren't Rising good with a pair. So, yeah so um, but they're, they're magical moments and it's uh, I suppose like you think of, of kids going to stadiums it's funny um, I've, I go to a lot of stadiums in the UK and I I just not it doesn't have the same sense of um, what's the enjoyment or it, I think there's something missing at the moment yeah. and you go to the continent and uh, I, I think probably one of the best sort of sporting 
uh, moments I ever had in my life was sitting in Warsaw with, in a Champions League playoff game with Dundalk. And I remember turning to Steve Williams at one stage going, like in the middle of the game as a coach you're lost and you're watching you're in charge of set pieces of who's marking who and going Willow Willow this place is amazing <laughs> I, I used another word if I lived anywhere within an hour of here I'd, or two hours I'd drive here every one week one of the best it, atmospheres I've ever ever had. ever yeah. experienced yeah. and it was just amazing so I don't think you get that in the UK no absolutely um, there's times where big games like obviously you look at City and Liverpool the other day there was a real tension around it but a lot of the games now are just, it's its its over sort of sanitised mm. and it's mm. just too, it, too quiet. Totally. These moments are nearly probably heightened in your head. Like when Australia go on a week later to beat the All Blacks and then to beat England in the final, like uh, it probably heightens it that the fact that this is the team that go on to to win, I suppose. that Yeah, and, and maybe when we go through my list, there's probably a common thread in it when you look at uh, what Lyon had done in terms of uh, winning the World Cup um, and he, he said it himself that try was his best moment yeah. in in his sporting career Just so it happened it. in Lansdowne I happened to be there and it was against Ireland obviously 1918 it, 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 um, in terms of the score if you'd have been in Lansdowne talking about it was an amazing atmosphere yeah. but as a young kid I was already watching this guy going he's, he's basically tactically controlling the game and I only had a and even now, I only have a, a sort of small understanding of rugby in, in, in the sense of where it comes from. But um, it was like the quietest place you've ever, once he scored that try, it was just the whole atmosphere was sucked out of the ground. And it was, but it was an amazing moment for them because they went on to win a World Cup. Um, and uh, I think they beat the All Blacks about a week later. And uh, knocked out England as well, so they'd done it sort of the hard way, away to Ireland as well. So yeah. it was just it, you sort of. I don't, I don't know whether you know it or not, and it's easy to say it after. But you sort of felt you were you were watching a piece of history, yeah. and one of the greats was at doing something special in front of your eyes, and that's when you know. Um, if you ever see the the sort of tries back or the moments back, if the hair stand up in the back of your neck, you know you're. Um, you, you've been, you've experienced. This is special. kind of soppy nostalgia, sort of. But Vinny's on about the atmosphere at Lansdowne in those days in the rugby. Like watch back some of the documentaries. No comparison to now. Like, yeah. and Ireland was downtrodden as a rugby nation. Like there was a lot. There would have been a lot of games where Ireland played well and kind of faded. Like late on, like that that game in particular. But in the eighties, when like Ireland won a couple of triple crowns really really poor country in terms of um, and the atmosphere now you go to games and it's primarily fairly wealthy people in the audience having beers Ireland are very good and it's just not the same it actually yeah. isn't and it's I like to I, I wasn't at rugby games those days but I know I'm right on that because you you listen back it's amazing how noisy the but place was but if you was. watch Ireland's Troy um, t- maybe 20 t- like the crowd celebrated the try with the players yeah. in that corner flag. Yeah. And now that would be a fine. That yeah. would be, you know, it, it's, it's... And it was unbridled. Happened. And, mm. um, and I understand why it doesn't happen now in terms of for security reasons and different things. But and in this day, that wouldn't happen now. So seeing the crowd actually celebrated the try with, mm. with the players on the day. Your second pick, Vinny, is 1995. Again, Irish dreams crushed, <laughs> this time by a 19-year-old Patrick Clivert. So uh, this was a year 96 playoff. Um, Big Jack uh, Cliver gets Big Jack Cliver gets a couple of goals so it's yeah. uh, 13th of December 1995 the Netherlands 2 Ireland 1 this was Anfield Anfield yeah so I stood on the cup I actually stood on the cup Richard Dunn had recently signed for Everton at the time so the two of us went to the game right and it's interesting the career he went to, to go on to have but the two of us stood on, on the cup 
that day and um, obviously the Jack moments were special if you ever see the footage at the end of the game the, you'll never walk alone we want Jack yeah, back yeah. I mean the two of us stood there and sang it as loud as anybody and he came back out with his flag and you sort of, but at the same time you knew it was the end of an era that the team was tired it was it was time to sort of regenerate that team and you, you already got that sense but, but Clivert again we you know, when you look back on players now, you look at Haaland and what he has become. We've known that and we've seen that footage for the last four or five years. With Clivert and what he was doing at Ajax was under the radar in many ways. Now, he had just scored the winner in the Champions League final at 18 years of age. Don't get me wrong. But it was sort of the TV coverage has sort of helped my memories, if that makes sense. Because it was, it was all of a sudden I was watching a star now. He, he was part of an amazing Overmars at that time was was world class as well. Seidorf had just come through that Ajax team, Van der Sar and goal. So it was sort of um, a golden generation of Ajax players. But he on the day, like Paul McGrath playing centre half, he on the day, he could have had five or six and he scored two amazing goals. And albeit he crushed Ireland's dreams and we had a couple of chances. I remember Terry Phelan blazing over the bar and maybe a half volley from the edge of the box by McGrath but on the day the Dutch just looked world class and and him in particular and to see somebody so young like 18 years of age um, it's funny to think back to it we were in two World Cups in a row at that stage and it was almost like I remember thinking I I, I would have been what 14 or that I was thinking there was almost this surprise that yeah, we were fairly beaten by Holland in a one-off. It's like, geez, are we are we at that level now where we just have to accept and look at look at like we had riches then that we didn't understand. Yeah, and and even um, and sort of it was still Cascarino playing up front. Mm. Like so, when and I think world football was beginning to change. And there's a few moments where for me it changed. I mean, you look at France '98. I think that's when football changed to real athleticism you look at we'll go on, maybe go on to Spain later on in 2012 that's when the the sort of possession game and, and the ability to keep the ball changed but but it was like this Dutch team young youthful players with the same time they you know the likes of Seidoff wasn't um, wasn't shy about making a tackle in any way mm. shape or form but it was it was it was a different way of doing it and uh, we looked tired and all that that day and ultimately Jack's tactics had run out, out of its, its sort of lifespan mm. on that day and Cliver had punished us so much like his, his dink for the second goal mm. late in the game was just it, like it was right in front of us in the cup but it was amazing to see and I just went I know, I know his career sort of I don't know he had an amazing career in many ways, but he, he got a knee injury heading into that World yeah. Cup. And I, I know he did score against England in the 4-1 defeat at that uh, championship, but he wasn't he wasn't the same player for a couple of years. He went on to have a brilliant career, I think, at, at Barcelona. But it was like, you, it was almost like, um, for me, as much as I'd seen him on and off the TV, as I said, to see somebody like that live, you go, wow, this guy is the real deal. And... Um, it was, it was sensational on the day. Is 16-year-old Richard Dunn set her half in the crowd standing beside you going, ah, I would have stopped Clive right there. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, don't, I don't remember him saying that too much, but <laughs> uh, uh, it's, funny. It's, it's funny when you think of like s- singing We Want Jack Back and different things like that when um, 
when when you think of it, there was no cameras around at the time. There was no camera yeah. phones, no text messages. Um, he had just signed for Everton, and you think the career he went to to go on to have. Yeah. And he marked Clivert not that long after that. To be honest, a couple of years later, he ended up marking Clivert. So um, I don't remember having in depth conversations with him at the time in terms of what would you do against this guy because you know yourself, it seems so far away. But um, <laughs> it's it, it was a. Uh, no, it was a special moment. But I think I think the Clivert part of it for me was was amazing. But also the whole occasion. Yeah, like uh, that was one of the best occasions I think I've ever been at mm. Anfield. And then the the sort of it, it was a weird thing where the Dutch fans start applauding, and you knew they were applauding the Irish fans. So then the Irish fans start applauding the Dutch fans, and it was just this Good weird, vibes all around. just this great vibes. And then it's, <clears throat> it's just, we came out of the stadium. Then all of a sudden, got hostile because typical, typical the wrong word, but the British police were there, and you could tell they, they, they at that time they policed football games completely yeah. different. And, something was in the air. Yeah, and there was something in the air. And I remember um, we were only young lads. We jumped in a taxi and went back to uh, Richard's Digs at the time, and just got out of the city as quick as we could. But it was there was still that sort of hooliganism element around uh, British football at the time because uh, it was obviously played in a neutral venue. So I'm sure uh, Per Alan Kelly and goals remembers remembers mm. Patrick Cliver quite well from that night as well. Yeah. Your your third pick is a better memory. It's it's also against the Dutch, but Roy Keane's yeah. rapid performance in two thousand and one. Um, this one went went the right way. So this is the two thousand and two World Cup qualifier course, September first. 2001, we all remember what happened with the goal um, with Jason McAteer, but Roy Keane's performance that day was uh, something else. Yeah, I, I think if you remember in the first minute, he, he just nailed Mark Overmars <laughs> and he didn't get booked and he didn't get booked in the whole game. Right, he didn't but get booked at no, all. No. Remember Yap Stam's tackle and him going into the goal? Then? Just in, in, yeah. in the build-up for the yeah. goal. and um, I remember uh, Mark Van Bommel and him went up against each other and it just he, he just had him on a piece of string. It was like a, a toy. Couldn't happen to a nicer fella. Yeah, <laughs> but I tell you, it, like it's funny. We we now the the Roy that we know now. It's um, because I grew up sort of a Liverpool fan, but I was always quite neutral in terms of even to this day who I like, who I didn't like. I never had a real love for Roy Keane. Yeah. I don't I don't know what it was, but that day. I remember uh, it was the old Lansdowne as well. So you were up in that old sort of main stand. And the the atmosphere was obviously... We were expecting to beat teams like Holland at the time. When you yeah. think of where we stand now or over the last sort of 10, 12 years. But I think Roy, he had this... Um, we all People have different views of Roy Keane in terms of how he played. But... He had this calmness about him. I know the game ended fran- frantic, as in the Dutch had six, seven forwards on that stuff. But if you actually go back to the game, he was so controlled and measured and everything. He was so he was calmness was personified. Mm. His passing range um, went to slow the game down, and also what he never really got, gets the credit for when people talk about Roy Keane, the player, his ability to make. Uh, breaks into the box and in behind people and and that stretches midfields and particularly the way the game was played then nearly four four twos. Um I remember one time he made a run in behind it was in behind Stam and McIntyre over hit the ball goes to the end line and like the crowd went quiet and you like you could hear Roy nail and McIntyre and <laughs> like McIntyre the usual 
obviously yeah, just yeah. a couple years later. And yeah, no, they obviously made <laughs> up as as it developed. But his performance that day and um, it's the, the tragedy of what we knew was going to happen in Saipan. Yeah, yeah, and, and and that's the the killer part. Like, um, he obviously had such high standards, but I don't think if he didn't have them standards. Ireland would have won that game. Mm. Like we, we, they had a corner at one stage, and it's cleared the edge of the box, and it's a brilliant moment where, and it sort of summed up Roy in many ways because people will sum him up by the tackle on Overmars, and but he broke with sixty yards. Japstan is is sort of running after him. He's the only one nearly in the Dutch half. He just kills the ball with his studs and just rolls it back to a Gary Kelly or uh, someone behind him, and just like really, really calm and. Um, I remember at one stage there was a ball back. Richard Dunn played that game uh, because uh, he came into the team on that game. It was him and Steve Staunton at centre half. Um, and all of a sudden, the Irish players were passing and passing through lines because Roy was demanding of them to do it as in his positions. Yeah. Or he wasn't, because of the level he played at, I remember one stage he got the ball the Dutch had a, uh, uh, he won he won a he won a ball in the midfield gets it out of his feet turns and I actually remember because obviously I'd sort of uh, I was mates with a guy playing here this was weird and he just fires it back to Richard Dunn who first time passed it out to Gary Kelly and you're like this is and it was so almost even at that time un Ireland like because we were starting to transition. And Have we had anyone like that since as well, Vinny? This is the thing. We've never had that midfield general. And you look at us even against Armenia where we lose our way very quickly. We change the midfield. We just haven't had anything like that. No. Where It's like, he, he demands it. Like, he, I, I, and I look after this ball for you. Yeah, we, we've had flashes of, of brilliant moments in terms of uh, people have gone into that position and done really, really well at different stages. But no, of course, we've never had that world-class midfielder. The, like, in fairness, in that game you had... Um, when you think back to the previous Dutch game, maybe in the playoff, you, Duff Duffer was brilliant on the day as well. To be fair to him, Kevin Kamban played, uh, Gary Kelly played, Steve Phelan came on, I think. But um, the Duff Dunn, uh, Robbie Keane, obviously we we. But that is such a pivotal position in football that if you don't have that you're going to struggle and and he set the tone for everything that was good about us so no we've we've had like if you go to the Euros in 2012 I think probably our best player was um, uh, Keith Andrews at the time mm. in midfield we've had different moments where Josh Cullen is now is trying to emerge in that position but he's he's very different than, than what Roy Keane is so it is a big big problem for us we, we've, we've sort of stopped developing those sort of I think we stopped developing number 10s in Irish football and that sort of really great number six. Mm. Just looking at the Dutch Dutch lineup from that day as well. Van der Sar was in goals. Then the, the back four, Mario Melchiot, Kevin Hofland, Arthur Newman, Yap Stam. You Philip Koku, the captain for the Dutch. Overmars, Van Bommel, Zenden, and then Clivert and Van Nistelrooy up top. And then off the bench, Hasselbank, Van Hoydonk, Van Bronckhorst. Didn't realise as well, like Steve Finnan comes off the bench on 60 minutes. Yeah. On 67th minute, he crosses for... We were down to 10 so Oak. long as well. We were yeah. down to... So, uh, um, uh, Gary Kelly got sent off yes. as well. And... It, it, but but going back to Roy... Minutes, that's just literally two minutes before Finnan comes uh, on. And, and uh, I want to explain this well enough. Go back to, to Roy though, right? He, he picks up the ball on... Uh, just, just inside his own half, on the far... Uh, touchline Van Bommel is close to him amazing little bit of skill he drives straight across midfield Yapstam jumps out of the back four which actually helps the goal makes a stupid tackle on Roy Keane 
uh, Damien Duff is sort of in central. He's off his, mm. his wing position. He plays the ball, Damien Duff, then Stam absolutely nails Roy Keane. And then Duff goes out to Finnan. Whether it's a great cross or not, it doesn't, it's overhit cross. Doesn't the matter. Dutch are, are out of shape because of what Roy had done. If you ever watched the goal back? And then uh, McIntyre, obviously, it's a brilliant finish. But it was it, the goal came from Roy's brilliant bit of skill against Mark Vommel on the... Actually, right on the um, uh, left touchline. Was that our Drove best team there. that we've ever had that day in the sense of... Because Keane didn't play in the World Cup. So was that... Was that as good as it got for Ireland or would you go back to the early, sort of the late 80s around the sort of early Jack era? Yeah, yeah I, I suppose I probably, I think I think you would in terms of, I think for players we had um, in terms of around Aldrich Houghton at the time, um, you know, Ronnie Whelan, those people were in and out of the team. Or defensively were really strong I think the team that played against um, Italy in the 94 World Cup was probably our best team McGrath and Bab at the back mm. um, Houghton albeit off the right people say Jack never had tactics and I think that's I think that suits the after dinner speaker mm. uh, type of element but if you even go back to that goal Ireland scored in the 94 World Cup um uh, John Sheridan dropped short. Andy Townsend was more of a sitter. He he was the runner in the game. Yeah. John Sheridan dropped short, gets it off there. Dennis Irwin. Yes, he goes long, but actually Houghton is in that sort of number ten position mm. that he came in off the line and then chips one over the keeper. But that team, I think, was probably where we were at our very very best. Your your fourth and penultimate pick on you had to be there this morning, Vinny, is Euro 2012, another painful memory, Andres Iniesta yeah. performance as a Spain beat. Isn't it? Yeah, let's talk it all through. Yeah. Uh, Spain 4, Republic of Ireland nil, murder on the Gdansk floor, I think was one of the headlines. In the, one of the having, having that one. Ah, brilliant yeah. one. Hmm. Um, a, a tough night for Ireland, but what a, what a night for Iniesta. Yeah, but, and, and again, it's a bit like lying at the start, right? I, Iniesta was amazing on the day, and I remember sitting in the stadium saying... Because again, it's 2012, so you're starting to see a lot more football, and he's mm. part of this great Barcelona team that that w- was 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 really good. The, the Spanish had sorted a lot of their problems out um, in terms of the Real Madrid were so strong, Barcelona players, the clash of of these sort of players, and they grew into this tournament. And I think they brought football to a new level. It yeah. was it was um, he played sort of narrow off the left. But he had this freedom to go and roam everywhere and he was turning up in different positions. He did direct handing to the goals he scored that night. He went on to be player of the tournament. Um, he was just simply sensational throughout that tournament. And to see him live and to see what he'd done to that Irish team, who, look, that Irish team were tired at the time. It yes. was... It was uh, it was a step two, and it, it was difficult. It was difficult night because around that time in 2012, funny. I went to the tournament. I I don't know what weight I was. Right when I went, I went for 14 days. I was in around the team uh, hotel. I know everyone was, but I mean properly in around the team hotel. And I think I came back about stone and a half overweight at the time, uh, heavier than what I remember getting off the plane Dublin Airport. My wife picked me up, gone. Look at the state. <laughs> I was in bits. And your weight isn't great either. Uh, weight wasn't great either. And, but it was an amazing time. And for someone, I had just re- sort of finished with football and I was doing bits and pieces. Because when you're involved in football, a lot of these tournaments, particularly in League of Ireland terms, happen. That's why you're at not many of them. They happen while sort of we're in season yeah. or different things. And this time I had the freedom to go. 
and it was an amazing experience that European Championships Ireland were really really poor but I think I seen one of the great midfielders of um, the great generations I think I seen one of the most ma- amazing performances that any midfielder has ever put in, in, in from an Irish sort of or against an Irish team or anybody I've seen and then it played out they were that, that team was just cruise to the, yeah. the to the European just championships at, like that Spanish starting lineup as well um, like Casillas Arbeloa Pique Ramos Jordi Alba Xavi Busquets Alonso Silva Torres Iniesta and then to, just to refresh people's memories we were only 1-0 down at half time Torres fourth minute and then second half David Silva gets a goal four minutes into the second half Torres gets his second on 70 minutes and then Fabregas in the 83rd so at half time we're probably thinking geez they're all over us but we've really just nicked yeah. the goal here you do and you you do think like that particularly with say Robbie on the pitch or Duffer we're hanging hanging here and, and it was in many ways that was the Trapattoni way in terms mm. of staying in a game and hopefully some big moment can happen and a lot of Ireland's big moments around that time did come like the goal against Germany yes. when you are getting bashed a little bit and then one big moment from people but I think the big moments had gone out of that group unfortunately And but if you even go back to it and this is where so the, my brain works from a tactical point of view. All of a sudden, Spain, there was a team playing with no wingers here. So you'd like um, Iniesta playing narrow and, and the re- responsibility was Arbeloa and uh, Georgi Alves to go as w- almost wing-backs, even though they weren't wing-backs. So Spain, to play that way, had to keep the ball for fun. Had to, so the Xavi, Iniesta... Um, and they could Busquets and they could Fair. and they did now it's funny I was only recently checking the stats it's saying that our, um, our Spain had 66% of the ball right <laughs> but it actually on the night felt like they'd 89, 80 yeah. to 90% of the ball at mm. the time so albeit we were 1-0 down we were completely and utterly outpassed and um, in in that moment that was a real snapshot of Iniesta he got three man of the match in throughout that tournament Awards won the player of the tournament, and as I said, I think all right, he had amazing players, David Silva. Um, um, and again, I don't think Torres started the final, so they were they were changing how people played football for me around that time. Um, it was David Silva, um, but it was it was a new way of playing football, and it was just it was it was just amazing to see in terms of um, I'd like to think that. Uh, that was 2012. So when we went into Dundalk in 2013, we just Replicated. copied Spain. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. can't get away with that. <laughs> Pretty much right. Yeah, your final one, Vinny. Uh, you got a trip later that year in 2012. Then in December, over to the States, Kobe Bryant against the Philly 76ers. Um, yeah, 16th of December. This so is the left field one. Now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 11, I'm, I'm sure people didn't see this was coming. So um, br- briefly, I was over with the um, uh, NFL hockey team. Um, uh, the Philly Flyers so I was, I was over with them for a week had something I'd pre-planned again this was just before I went into sort of coaching and um, but they were on strike at the time there was a, there was a hockey strike it went on for nearly six months so but we got to see them try and got to uh, be around them but just happened to be an NFL or the NBA game was on in Philly while I was there went online and I got like courtside tickets for something ridiculous like a hundred dollars right. on the day Jeez. like it was it was like I was like there's a mistake here and um, again you didn't have on, on my phone I didn't I don't think we had video at the time but you certainly had I have a picture on my phone of Kobe scoring a, a three pointer and I'm literally 
Uh, and when he got taken off or when he got set down, he was like two yards in front of me. It was amazing. Jesus. And I wasn't a big NBA fan at the time or probably still am not but he he calls it to, it, it's amazing. So I'm talking about Iniesta and the moment he had on Michael Lina saying it was his best match. So Kobe talk, talks about the 2012-13 season being his best of his career. Right. Now, they didn't, they didn't ultimately win the top prize at the time, but he scored 34 points on the day. And he Six was, assists and four rebounds as well. He was just like, the, the stadium was electric and there were spare seats around and different things, but they were playing away from home. But every time he got the ball... It's it's what the greats do. You just get this sense of like anticipation. Something magical is going to happen. This was in Philly. This game. This was in so, Philly. So, so a lot of the home fans were were pretty disgruntled, yeah, no doubt on that. Yeah, game. but but it wasn't. It was like it's almost like you're watching. They were watching one of the greats doing something great. <laughs> so it was. I think statistically it was his best season. But to score thirty four points of. 111 doesn't seem that much but it, it was huge at the time no it's not something that people generally do and um what you just you you can't explain when you're watching someone that is that great what he has what's the special and i i i, I we often use this phrase going back to even Dundalk about creating a myth there was this you're almost looking at someone mystical in front of you. Like he's, you're talking about two yards sitting in front of you, five yards from the troll line, you're watching him getting three points. <laughs> but the, the, you also then, you do realise, so you, you watch a lot of NBA on TV and the athleticism that's needed. Um, and he was cut above everybody uh, on, on, on the to- at the time. Can I, can I ask you very briefly, I'm probably taking this over here, but... Do you look back now at that 2016 run and you look at Rovers haven't scored a goal yet in four games and kind of look a bit out of their depth at times in, in Europe. Do you look back and think, Dane Massey hit the crossbar in Tala against Zenit and we were nearly seven points from three games on top in the group. Did this actually happen? And you're like, you expect Dundalk then struggled afterwards the next time, but you're like, Jesus, this happened. Well, well, like, um, not to go up on a tangent, Johnny, I, it, it's too... It's ten years when next season starts. It's ten years since me or sorry, since Stephen took over Dundalk. Start, yeah. And sometimes um, uh, again, you're talking about therapy sessions. Sometimes I have to remind people I was with him that day as well mm. when he mm. took over. It was generally the two of us, right? So you but, were starting off, and he's almost kind of trying to reinvent himself. Yeah, after. so uh, so I was there for that moment. So, but I th- I think in the last ten years that Dundalk team. Should is there? Everyone argue about the great Shelbourne team, about great Rovers team that won four. But that is one of the greatest teams and the greatest achievement of a League of Ireland team in mm. terms of where they took the game to. You talk about moving the game on other levels. I think they did that. Fitness levels in the league, professionalism in the league went up another level because to compete with Dundalk, you had to. Didn't lose one game in the group by more than a goal. And so, but but to sum up the way. And I don't know whether every coach thinks like that, but to sum up my brain, I've got probably three memories in the last 10 years of different things. And the three of them are Dan Massey hitting the post because I think we'd have got out of group if that goes in. Mm. I think, I think Zenit would have, you know, I don't mean give up, but 2-0 down. Mm. They, they, they were going to get out of group anyway. I think we would have got out of group if that, that ball goes in. Uh, the penalty shootout um, in 2019 mm. that Dundalk lost we probably deserved to lose the game we, we lost Pat, Patrick McElhenney and Chris Shields in the build up 
But I remember that. And I remember last year against uh, Vitesse Arnhem. I think if we if we score in in our sort of last ten minute spell, mm. we, we knocked them out and we and we, mm. we progress. So uh, that's a long winded way of saying to you: you only remember you only remember the sort of not the failures, but they're like I I had amazing moments with that team and met doubles, European runs, experience stuff. But they're the stuff you remember. And what what I'd say on on that is a long winded answer in your Shamrock Run. Like you have to make these moments special mm. because yes, the Conference League has given people a chance to play European football regularly, but I just think there's big moments passing some big players boy, and I hope I hope they don't regret that. Totally agree. And he, he could have said, like, I was there for Robbie Benson's goal in Warsaw. <laughs> I was actually on the bench. Or Robbie, I was there for Robbie Benson. Patrick McElhinney's goal in Arnhem. You're like, Ugh. You know what? I debated Daryl Horgan's performance away to Zenith Bennett, Petersburg. Yeah. But we didn't win the game. Yeah. And again, it's a, Patrick McElhinney hit the crossbar in the 91st minute. Mm. I still can see that moment happen in front mm. of me. I actually the, can't remember... The orange ball. The, the other big moments that happened in that day. But I can remember that brilliant move Daryl Horgan picking it up driving past uh, people um, and, and pinging the ball out to McElhenney counter attack and we hit the crossbar to go two on the game uh, so that again may, and maybe I'm different but it's funny that you remember that moment mm-hmm. and not the other big moments and that's where you hope that the Shamrock Rovers group don't live to regret not seizing the moment of, of, of what it is yeah great moments there but sadly none of them made the, the final five so just to, just to recap Michael Lina Ireland World Cup defeat in 1991 um, then we went to Patrick Clivert in 1995 Roy Keane's performance in 01 Iniesta wrecking us in uh, Gdansk in 2012 and then Kobe Bryant in Philadelphia December 2012 uh, Vinny great picks unbelievable uh, thanks a million for coming in this morning thank you that is the latest episode of You Had To Be There so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. Yet yeah, 9.38am on this Thursday morning, OTBAM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. OTBAM back tomorrow morning. Myself and Adrian in studio will be live with the new leash hurling manager, Willie Maher. Alan Quinlan will reflect on Andy Farrell's squad announcement and of course look ahead to the weekend's URC action. A week on from Damien Brown's appearance on OTBAM, his boatmate for the first couple of weeks. Anyway, Fergus Farrell will be in studio to tell us about that epic voyage from New York to Galway and how their journeys went different ways after the 13th. Days. In the meantime, we're leaving you with the very best of Wednesday Night Rugby. Enjoy. See you tomorrow. Good luck. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode.